0: Welcome, my friends, to another episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, this show is brought to you by our number one sponsors, CTN Now. You know them, you love them. All the best breeders, the best prices, satisfaction guaranteed. Get into it. As well as a big, big shout out to Radio Rich Nursery, the one and only. Huge, huge, huge shout-out to Greensleeves Merchantile. Got them dope graphics and logos on pat. Hit them up, whatever you need. And as always, big, big, big shout-out to the family at Dragonfly Earth Medicine and the Patreon gang. We love you guys. You're amazing. Thank you so much for everything you do. On the episode today, we have true from true canogenetics dropping all knowledge about the eu scene spain what he's been up to and what we can expect going forward let's get into it alrighty guys a big thank you and welcome to our friend true of true canogenetics for joining us today
1: hey bro how's it going
0: good my friend good so we're going to start this one off with our new favorite one to start it off with which is what are you currently smoking on today
1: Uh, Today, I rolled up uh, a joint of true love, which is a cross of a Filipino land race and the truth, which is a strain I won a high times with back in 2014.
0: Wow. Okay. There's a lot to go on there. Let's go on the one I was a little more interested in touching on first because we'll obviously touch on the truth quite a bit. The Filipino land race, how did you come across that one? I've never seen anyone with a cut like that.
1: This is the most incredible story for a strain. This one, like, I love the strain for so many reasons. I had a friend that I met when I was in Amsterdam, a Jewish friend of mine uh, called Zohar. One of the most adventurous, quirky characters I've ever met in my life. I love him. He's just uh, just an oddball of the highest caliber, and that's why I probably like him, because we're so alike and so different in that regard. And... After living in Amsterdam for a few years, he then moved to Barcelona. I moved to Barcelona, haven't been in touch with him. I'm walking along the street and see him coming towards me with, with this girl hand in hand. So I'm like, bro, he's like, oh, Barry, what are you, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh. I've moved over. I was staying at a friend's at the time, just kind of looking for somewhere to live and get everything settled in. Turns out he was doing tours of the cannabis social clubs in Barcelona. And it was an idea that me and him came up with when I was in Amsterdam because Instagram had kicked off by then. And I said to him, like, go and do the tours take people around to the different clubs. You can basically, what happens is people take people around to the clubs and they just charge a small fee or get a a cut of the entry fee. But then they're able to take people to like three or four different clubs during a day, uh, find out kind of what kind of people they are and pair them up with a cannabis social club that suits that kind of person. So he, while he's doing it, he meets this Filipino girl who's on like her first big holiday away from her mom and like on a kind of journey of self-discovery so they fall in love he pretty much jacks in his job and is just on like a whirlwind romance at the moment so he tells me like that's it i'm in love like i'm going back to the philippines to meet her mom and her brother like he's that's what i love about him he's one of those people it's like he just goes He's everything wholeheartedly. There's no like messing around. This guy, he puts his whole heart into everything he does. So I go meet them and she's just the most beautiful, kind hearted, wonderful person. And him, like I said, he's just the most wonderful guy and a super adventurous person. So for him, He's down for a trip to the Philippines. So within like a month, I think, they were maybe like together for a month in Barcelona. And then when it was time for her to go back, he went back with her. So he goes back. He's over there. I get a phone call from him. And he says like, bro, this is not looking good. The mum is so upset that my girlfriend has kind of just had this journey of self-discovery, falling in love and come back with me. That... I am not feeling welcome. The brother is like the dictator from North Korea, and he's looking at me like he wants me executed at any moment. So I'm saying to my friend, like, bro, be careful. This is the Philippines. These are rich people. They will have you go missing, like, for pennies. Just like, be careful. And he's not an idiot, so he said to me like, no, don't worry, we're doing some sightseeing, and we're coming back next week, like, We're out of here. Don't worry. So I don't hear from him for a little while. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call from him. While they have gotten to the airport and are about to board their flight back to Europe, his girlfriend has been arrested. I'm like, you couldn't make this shit up. I'm like, bro, like, what what are you doing? So he said that he's then missed his flight. And he's now trying to get in touch with her friends to find out what's going on or trying to get help and alert them. And luckily, he had like her Facebook login had been done on his phone. So he was able to try and reach out to some friends and try and get help. But literally, like spent maybe a week or so doing that. During his adventure, he met another Jewish guy and said to him, brother, I need to smoke some weed. I am under pressure. You need to help me find some weed. So this other guy goes out of his way to find him some bud and gets him like a Filipino land race. In that Filipino land race, there's five seeds. So my friend saves those five seeds. And then after a week or so of not being able to get in touch with his girlfriend and not being able to find out what's going on, he comes back to Barcelona. He comes back and stays with me, so while he's staying with me, I start the seeds. After a couple of weeks, he gets a phone call from his girlfriend. She's in a mental institution. She's managed to get one of the girls that works there to let her use the telephone secretly away from everyone and tells us that they've diagnosed her with love addiction. And they're literally drugging her and giving her counseling. Heavy. Bro, it's the, if I hadn't have heard the conversation myself and been there and then heard the voice messages that succeeded, I would have been doubtful if this is even possible, bro. It blew my mind to think that something like that can happen. So then my friend, as you can imagine, he's like, there's nothing he can do and he's super upset about it. But he kind of, like, has constantly got her in his mind. After a little while, he gets a letter, and this letter is just like a dagger-to-the-heart letter. You know, like, it is the most damning, like, by going on my Facebook, you broke my trust. Like, it broke down so many things. Said just destroyed and broke his heart, basically. And I had to say to him, like, look, bro, this looks like someone put a gun to her head. And made her write it. (laughs) But at the end of the day, you're in another country. There's nothing you can do. You've got to get on with your life. This is kind of crazy right now. Do you know what I mean? like It's so wild, and I can see it's depressing you. You need to get on with your life. So at that point, I decided to call the strain that I was growing lovesick, the Filipino. Because of the love addiction diagnosis that she was given.
0: Hot damn, that's a neat name to a potentially really dark story.
1: (laughs) Well, the craziest thing of all, bro, is that a month or say six weeks into vegging the plant, I took a cutting from it and it bled red
0: ha huh, that that's exists in like you know one of bodhi's strains that's so rare though right
1: yeah I think it's it's like anthocyanins or something like that I'm not sure of the exact pronunciation I've only ever seen it written but yeah I think bodhi's got a strain called dragon's blood that does it
0: yeah 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 you know about that one sweet
1: Yeah, yeah, people have pointed it out to me. When I actually found it, people have pointed it out to me. So, yeah, that strain there, it goes like dark purple. It's the most unique, hardy strain I've ever grown in my life. I've seen it grow in a propagator in a dark room where the rest of the tray of cuts that I discarded all molded and just fluffed over. And when I went in there, the Filipino cuttings had grown to the roof of the propagator and were trying to find light.
0: Damn. And what's it like as a plant in terms of like flowering time and the high and all that stuff?
1: The flowering time is quite long. Like I fi- I've, I've got it to finish in a, to an acceptable degree in Barcelona outdoors because I flowered it all the way until the first week of December.
0: Okay. That's quite a while.
1: But indoors, you're looking at like... F- you could get away with fourteen but really sixteen weeks is where it wants to be. And I think if I really wanted to, you could probably push it to twenty weeks. It's one of those kind of strains, like it's weird like that and the truth is indoors it's never as good as it is outdoors.
0: Ah, huh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, like what what my plan is to do next year is to start flowering indoors like six weeks before the outdoor schedule flips to flowering and then take it outdoors and finish it off for another 10-12 weeks outdoors. So it gets like 20 weeks altogether.
0: Oh, that sounds nice. And so what's the high like? It's a beautiful, cerebral,
1: low anxiety. I, I haven't got the luxury of being able to get things tested easily, but I get the feeling that it's got CBD in it just for the fact that there's none of that heart-pounding, sativa, anxiety from it, but it's got a beautiful cerebral, calming, uh, euphoric kind of mildly psychedelic high.
0: Nice. And so what um, have you been able to get the flowering time down to when you crossed it with the truth?
1: Yeah, do you know what? I finished a whole bunch outside first week in October, some some stunners. So you get 10 weeks. 12-week finishes.
0: Lovely. And and what kind of flavors do they have? Are they leaning towards one side or in the middle or what do they do?
1: With the regular version, way more variety. It's all over the place. With the regular one, the flowering time is more varied as well. But with the feminized version that I've just done outdoors, it was a little bit more balanced. You know, there wasn't so many crazy sativa ones and there weren't really truth dominant ones. It kind of evened it out a bit more across the board, which is what I find with femme seeds. It kind of evens things out a lot more. So yeah, with that, the flavours are weird. I'll be honest, it's so hard to describe, bro. I I haven't got a point of reference for it. It's kind of in a floral direction, but I can't compare it to anything. So it's making it super difficult. And that's the same with the with the love sit cut itself. I can't give you a point of reference to tell you what I think it smells like or what it tastes like. So it's one of those ones I need to, I need more people to try it because there'll be people with more experience. You know how it is sometimes someone will smoke one of your strains. Like I've got a strain, zilla, which is Terpzilla crossed to the truth. And when I, when I'm smoking it or smelling it, I can pick up on fruits that I know. So I'll pick up on a mango note or like grapefruit I can discern easily. You'll get a little pineapple smell. That one I can pick out. But when someone else comes along, I've heard someone go like, oh, I can smell papaya. I couldn't tell you what a fucking papaya smells like for the life of me. So I just have to take it that that person (laughs) has got more papaya experience than me and that they're just picking one of the notes out. Because it's familiarity, which often makes them jump out to you.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a pretty sound theory. Let's go back to the start, though. What was your first experience with cannabis? Do you know what, my I I think
1: literally my first ever experience of cannabis was from like a super irresponsible like family member where one of my aunties who's like semi-degenerate. Uh, basically, my little cousin, when we were going on a walk in the countryside, suggested to her to let me have a pull on a joint. And that was my first toke of a joint, it was from my auntie, when I was like, probably about fucking 11 years old. So super irresponsible, like not the kind of thing that anyone should be doing. But I guess the fucked up thing is that your favorite auntie, when you grow up, you realize was the most degenerate. And that was the the gist of that. (laughs) So that was my first experience. And always like, I remember seeing her and her boyfriends and older cousins, whenever they would roll a joint and smoke a joint, I could see from a child the difference and how happy they were when they were smoking that joint. So I think there was always an interest from when I saw people smoking when I was younger, i could see the change that that made in people and how everyone was laughing smiling a little bit happier and there was from a young age i kind of had that interest and fascination
0: yeah okay that makes sense and so where did it go from there how did, did you continue to smoke as you grew up um beyond 11 no
1: no it was like a concept that couldn't be like The idea of it was baffling. It's like, I don't even know. Even when I think about it, I was baffled by that. I think the only other thing I maybe tried was like, I tried smoking a cigarette one time, and then I didn't smoke again until I was like, I think maybe 14 in secondary school. And I started smoking with one of my friends, a crazy uh, little Indian kid that I went to school with that was just wild and I got smoking with him and then another friend of mine, his dad was Moroccan and he would always get hash and he would uh, smoke hash with me.
0: Lovely. And so, that would have been interesting having access to such a kind of much more high quality and more potent high. How did you feel? Did you realize like that was something special or was it just kind of whatever?
1: Hash was so prevalent where I'm from. I'm from like Northwest London originally, so that's not far from Labyrinth Grove, Labyrinth Grove, Portobello Road Market, and there's loads a huge Moroccan community there. There's loads of Moroccan calves and things like that. And because of the Moroccan population in that part of London, you've always been able to access incredible Moroccan hash. And also back then even, there was a lot of good Indian hash as well. There was a lot more variety, but the Moroccan has always been around. So you kind of took it for granted. That was the real first experiences. There was a lot of hash that was smoked. My early experiences were going halves on a five-pound drawer of uh, hashish with a friend and getting two-pound fifties worth each. And that's that's a lot of the reason why you kind of start smoking with tobacco. And that becomes the culture in the UK. And even when you smoked flowers, people would say, oh, you need a little bit of tobacco to help it burn. So there was this kind of mythology around needing tobacco to combine it.
0: So what were the first strains that you can remember the names of smoking growing up? Let me have one guess. Uh, Skunk.
1: Well, bro, that's the funny thing, yeah? I remember the day my best friend phoned me and said, Barry, get whatever money you can and come round. We've got this new weed. It's called skunk. It feels like my head's a balloon on a string. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm coming. And at that point, it was like five pounds for a gram of like imported bud or five pounds for a gram of Moroccan hashish. And this, I, I think it was like 10 ten pound for a gram or maybe more but it was at least double so the idea of all of a sudden having to spend double that for this tight little s- a luminous green stinking bud that you know just was called skunk it was like a new thing this was like 95 1995 when we started to get that beginning of 95 I think it was around then
0: Love it, man. And was that like a kind of a paradigm shifting moment for you or was it like didn't stand?
1: Huge, massive, massive. That was like, wow. The high and the difference in the effect was so impactful, the smell, the flavor, everything like that. It's like in your mind as a kid, you're like, my God, what kind of laboratory did this come from? Like, this is like, (laughs) this is incredible. What scientists provided this? I'll I'll happily pay double. Like, it changed everything. We were just like, our heads were spun.
0: That's great. So, how long was it between that point to when you first started your own grow?
1: I would have been 15 then, so but I basically had like a a journey from the age of fifteen to like twenty when I started growing properly. Where my dad and his best friend would grow a couple of plants in our back garden, and as kids we didn't know what it was. And then as we got to the age of fifteen, we realised, and that was part of the whole thing. This is so. This is a great story that you'll love, bro. And it's like this is the kind of funny shit that just like. You have to laugh. At it. I, When I started smoking at 14, my best friend, I wasn't smoking with him, and he found out and told his fucking mum. And his mum was best friends with my mum, and our dads were best friends. So one morning, I go to school to meet him and his brother and cousins to go to school, and his mum says to me, Barry, can you come here a minute? I want to have a talk with you. And then she pulls me into the bedroom and gives me a lecture about smoking cannabis. And the fact that I'm a 14-year-old and that cannabis isn't the worst drug in the world, but it's not appropriate for a 14-year-old. I'm at school. I should be learning. My brain's still developing. I shouldn't be smoking. And she gave me such a legit talk and said to me, like, look, I'm not going to say nothing to your parents, but stop. Don't do it. It's not It's not appropriate. And it was so on the level that I literally stopped. Like, I was like, "Bruh." I've got such a lie. Like, I believe that she's not going to say nothing. And for that reason, I'm just going to stop because I've gotten off lightly here. But how harsh. My friend, I'll be honest, what it was, my friend at the time, he was so jealous that I was smoking and <laughs> so afraid to do it himself and get caught that he ended up snitching on me. That was like his, like, outlet. So, bro, literally for then, for maybe six months or nine months I didn't smoke and I would have like friends at school particularly these two girls that I always used to smoke with Yeah, and most of the time they would buy the weed and I would always roll it now they would come to me and I would have to roll the weed and I wouldn't smoke it I'd stand with them and I had such like good like restraint that for like six or nine months I didn't and then one day, my friend comes into school and says to me, oh, me and my cousin smoked weed last night. We asked our my parents, and they said, yeah. So he's now got permission from his parents to smoke. So I'm like, my mind's blown. And what it is is that his dad used to grow some outdoor plants every year. And he'd, like, give away 95% of it and maybe smoke the odd joint for himself on his own like one night when all the kids are gone to bed but really just enjoyed the growing the plants and it got to the point where my friend and his cousin went to his parents and just said look we want to try cannabis we'd rather do it at home and ask you and see what it's like we've tried alcohol it's like the english culture is that you're allowed to drink alcohol parents will let kids drink alcohol no problem there's nothing for them to go like ah you're 14, yeah, you can have a beer at 14. Oh, yeah, you can have a Shandy at 11. You know what I mean? Like people will give their kids alcohol from early. I'll be honest. My parents are very liberal with uh, with drinking alcohol. So when we went on holidays, for instance, like the, like a summer holiday, two weeks to Cyprus, we were allowed to drink a few cocktails. We were allowed like two cocktails a night. And that's when you're kids. And it's nothing. And that's like a normal thing. And the bar staff wouldn't even care for you to ask your parents. They would just serve you. So the alcohol culture in the UK that exists is just extraordinary. And people just get into a negative kind of uh, social state of like thinking that the only way you can socialize is to drink alcohol and go to places where everyone's paralytic drunk. People prey on one another or are hitting on each other. You've got girls worried about getting drink spiked, about being too drunk and people taking advantage of them, people getting into fights because of the alcohol and the stupidness and all of these kind of things. So although to some people it may seem crazy for kids to go to their parents and ask them that, it was probably a sensible thing because I'll be honest, what it done is in the long term, what it done is that I then asked my parents if I could smoke. They discussed it with their best friends who had more experience about people that had smoked. And they come to the decision that, look, if they want to try it, let them try it. If they want to do it, let them do it in the safety of our own home. On a weekend, as a sociable thing. One of them is 17, almost 18. The other one's 16. They can leave home now. They can have sex. They can get married soon. If they want to try it, then really... It's better that we know what they're doing and we have an honest dialogue with our kids because otherwise what will happen is they will hide smoking cannabis and then all of a sudden that just opens up a gateway of deceit. That, that whole dishonesty thing, and my parents never brought me up to be dishonest. That was the one thing that was always instilled into me. It was like, look, you can come back from anything, but if you're a liar – It's hard to bounce back from being a liar. That's who you are. It's like if you fuck up, if you make a mistake, whatever you do, admit it, own it up, deal with it. But don't be a liar. So when it comes to that, it was like my parents, it was kind of hard for them to get their head around at first. But in the end, they just kind of said, "Okay, let's do this. And then what would happen is they would give us this is the funny part. They would give us like a little bit of bud from the crop that his dad had like grown outdoors. But they didn't have an idea about what we smoked. So we were asking them for, like, weed for the weekend, and they were giving us, like, a half ounce of this bud. (laughs) And we're like, yeah, yeah, that should be about okay for Saturday and Sunday. And then we would have enough to just, like, slowly last us throughout the week. And you just slowly become regular smokers. From the age of 15, I was, like, consistently smoking. And it uh, it was only hash that we would buy from other people to begin with. Then the skunk came in. There was commercial bud, like Jamaican. I missed out on Thai. I think like once we had something that claimed to be Thai, but it was dubious because I don't know if it's the same with you, but now they send bud from anywhere in the world with just string thrown in it. It's like, there's no stick, but they think that if they put string in it, people just think it's Thai. So in England, you'll get people always posting pictures like, yeah, I've got this authentic tie, and it's got a bunch of string in it. And I'm like, guys, that's just from Africa. Is shit weed. They just put some string in it to like as a unique selling point so that they can convince you that it's tie stick or something. <laughs> I have to send people like pictures of like a tie stick. Look, this is what it is. It's a whole process. It's not just got some string fucking wrapped around it. Come on, guys.
0: Yeah, wow. So d- tell me about your first grow. What was that like?
1: The first thing I grew was one small plant outdoors and it yielded about 10 grams and it blew my mind how good it was and then literally i i had my best friend he had two plants growing outdoors vegging and i decided that i was giving up tobacco and uh, the best way to do it was to start growing on my own so i got these two plants off of my friend put them in the corner of my bedroom went to ikea and got a blackout blind went to the grow shop got some <clears throat> bottled nutrients then I got a 400 watt HPS I never had no fan no filter no tent no nothing I literally just had it in the corner of my bedroom with a wardrobe kind of half boxing it in and at night I would just turn everything off and I'd be in my bed even I'd watch a little bit of TV because I was like you know you have no concept of like a hermaphrodite really at that stage like I didn't really know what I was doing I was kind of like winging it it's like So I just grew that in the corner. And the real inspiration that got me, like, that made me want to grow was the book Hashish by Rob Connell Clark. Before I, before I fully grew indoors, from one of the head shops where I would buy, like, High Times magazine, rolling papers, bongs, and things like that, I saw the book Hashish in there, and I got that book and read it from front to back. And literally, when I got to the end of that book, that's when I decided, like, Never mind a little outdoor plant every year, just like it didn't matter. I wanted to become a grower. I felt like I understood so much about the plant from reading that book that I wanted to grow. And from that, I got Jorge Cervantes' book, The Grow Bible. And I literally read that in something like 10 days. I went insane reading this book front to back and literally finished it. The next day, that's when I went and got all my equipment.
0: Good effort. And so, how long was it before you found your way onto the forums?
1: Well, in Jorge Savanta's book, at the very back of it, it had SeedsDirect and Overgrow.com. It actually had the website links. So, it is, when I read that book, I actually discovered Overgrow and SeedsDirect. So I was able to get my first ever seeds from Gypsy Nirvana's original website and also go on to Overgrow, which just blew my mind.
0: Wow. And what are some of the memorable things that you remember being around for on the Overgrow website or forums?
1: I was just so overwhelmed by everything that was going on. For me, just the strain base, I was obsessed with the strain base, with all the information about the strains. It's like if there was a Jeopardy special subject thing on strain base of overgrow and genetics released from like 2000 to 2010, that would be my specialist subject because I would go through that in such detail. I knew every breeder, every strain name, what the background was. It was just incredible to go on there and to see some of the growers on there was just wow.
0: And so, who were the breeders you were looking up to at that time? For me,
1: it was always like to begin with, it was always the Dutch breeders. Like, I was always like a big fan of serious seeds. It's like serious seeds to me, the way they actually done their breeding and came with everything was incredible for me. So, that made a huge difference. But once I got onto the forums and started to see all this American genetics, that's when things really got interesting because everyone in the UK was growing the Dutch strains that I was familiar with, it's like the people that I knew, those strains were available. And it's always the interest of getting something unique that kind of got my eye. So the minute I saw all of these uh, unique breeders, like I remember getting bog seeds, one of these boggle gum and some other things that were like deep wreck, things that like, you know, if it had an elite clone involved in it, it was some kind of American genetic that was like, a clone only, if someone was working with something like that, that is what attracted me. It was like I wanted to grow things out that I knew when I passed a joint to someone in the UK, they were gonna be looking at the joint for answers. You know when you pass a joint around to people, they take a toke and then they look at the joint as if to say, Hold on a minute. And then they look around for some answers. That's what I wanted and it was it was things like I remember getting sour bubble from Bog way back in the day, which is like a Bubba Kush Cross bubblegum. And that was just a game-changing flavor, bro. That kind of flavor is just next level. Same with Sour Diesel. Same with like Trainwreck turps, Same with OG Kush turps, The minute chem dog flavors came along, like I grew out a lot of those flavors pre-2010. And it was like revolutionary. When, When Oregon Kid done those og kush s1s that was just insane for us bro to have og kush like in the early 2000s was just wild so i always looked out for those boutique breeders the little like crazy guys that had something with a story behind it something from that no one else was growing that had like documented photos that you could see you you were onto something special
0: Wow, what a cool backstory! And so, what's one of your favorite um, kind of nabs in terms of packs you picked up off the site? Just off the top of your head, do
1: you know what there was? This is this is one of the ones that deserves a mention. Yeah, there was a guy called JLP, John Lee Pedemore. This was probably my greatest discovery on Overgrow. And he transferred over to icmag.com when that started up. And he was a guy called JLP, which stood for John Lee Peddemore. And what he'd done, he would make seeds and give them out free. And he was the only person that was allowed to like – get addresses from people directly on IC Mag and was allowed to do that and deal with people direct. And he would send out thousands upon thousands of packs of seeds. And he'd done the most incredible seed projects with all the latest, greatest genetics that maybe other people weren't able to snag. And he'd done cool projects where he'd done like, he'd done a cross once, which was, I love the concept. He'd done two strains called Romeo and Juliet. And I can't remember what the genetics were, but it was the same cross done both ways. So he used like a male New York City diesel cross something, and then he used the female New York City diesel versus the opposite male. And then he released them as both Romeo and Juliet so that people could grow both of them together and get an idea of what the male and females impart differently and have some kind of side-by-side comparison to see
0: what the results were for that. Yeah, that's a that's a cool little proof of concept of doing side-by-sides with people. I guess the question that jumps to mind immediately for me is, do you feel like when you do a, a kind of a, a sense check yourself like that with the two variant strains, do you feel like really at the end of the day what you're testing is Your ability to select a good male, because what if in just one case you pick a dud male, and then in the other you pick like a good one, and and that's the reason why you get such different results.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's exactly it, bro. At the time, like the concept is wonderful, but depending on the work that's gone into it, is how it's variant. You know what I mean? It really does make that difference, like you a huge difference because like you say without a male being, without knowing what your male does to begin with that's that's one of my favorite things is to actually figure out what does a male do
0: yeah i guess that should be the goal of all breeders to have that as a bit of a pastime right but um
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it shouldn't be a unique thing it shouldn't be like mind-blowing concept to people but they should be able to give you a list of what a male does and be able to show you in a variety of crosses those results consistently so
0: yeah. yeah, that's a good one and I think we'll touch on that in a bit but I just want to rewind for a second. So, you were snagging some cool packs off Overgrown. Something I picked up on which is really probably one of the most obvious things people will pick up on about you if they Google you is that you're quite well known for your cut of Casey Jones. Is this where you picked that pack up from?
1: No, do you know what? Casey Jones, basically around 2000, I think it was in 2004. So, like maybe... Three two or three years into my being on Overgrow, uh maybe two years, I think I'd been on there. Overgrow now had like kind of got clogged down, and there was loads of like it kind of it lost the community vibe the bigger and bigger it got. And then Icy Mag started up. And because I had discovered that the website, Gypsy Nirvana Seeds Direct, they had a shop not far from London, which was like within driving distance to me. And back in the day, you're so paranoid about dealing with anything in the post, online, anything like that, that I contacted them and said like, oh, I do work down there. There's chance I can pass by. And they said like, yeah, we've got a shop. And they had like a little head shop where you could go in and see them. So for me, I went down there and actually met them. So when they started IC Mag, that was kind of – like a big massive thing for me and i i got into ic mag and that kind of got the ic mag cup going and that's when i started to meet american growers and breeders at the ic mag cup and through ic mag is where the world of the industry and the community really opened up to me because i was able to see other people's flowers that had been sent from america i was able to try Mm -hmm. cup entries for the ic mag cup from res dog and Jimmy Nits and Smokey the Puffmaster—all of these guys that had the East Coast sour diesel cut and got to try elite genetics and got to have my own bud there. I was—I was always someone that sent a shitload of bud over or took it with me, so I always had a rucksack. With like five Tupperware containers full to the brim with different flowers, and always wanted to like see what was around and what was available, and see what people thought and try better things. So that was when I I got the Casey Jones seeds. Was when I met the heads because they were visiting Europe. So I met them at the IC Mag Cup, got the seeds off of them, and then the next year I entered it in the IC Mag Cup in 2007. I think I met them maybe 2005. And then 2007 IC Mag Cup, i had grown it out, done massive selection. I kind of like I selected not massive selection in the amount of seeds, but massive selection and uh, like dialing in. I was so obsessed. It was the first real time that I decided to like keep clones from seed selection. So not only did I do the selection, but then I grew it out so many times. And I flowered out like, 40 plants and chopped it every single day from week eight to week 11 and then i had them all jarred up with the exact day on them and then i would smoke them and whittle it down to the to the 10 best days and then i grew it again and then i chopped down like five plants on each of those 10 days and then i went through the best ones and whittled it down and then i'm like all right day 64 is the day for this casey jones cut now this plant here is the best one of that batch this is the one I'm gonna enter in the IC Mag Cup this year. And I really thought about my entry. A lot of people don't put full into an entry. Like for me, the key to winning a cup like that is if there's a 35 gram requirement, you want to provide 35 buds that weigh approximately 1.1 to 1.2 grams so that by the time the person takes out the twig and breaks it down, they get their gram sample, it's one bud, no one has to break up big buds of your entry, because when competitions have to start dividing things up and doing those, they're under pressure, and they haven't got time to gently break up your big bud that you sent in because it was your best bud. That doesn't work in a competition unless it's one where they're keeping half of it for a judges panel that want to examine it in that detail. When it comes down to individual judges you really think about presentation the trim job a nice boulder don't use the top buds that have been directly under the light go for the second shelf i always pick those like you know like if you're picking one grand buds it's never going to be those tops it's kind of the middle level ones that have got that best frost that have had a little bit of protection that are just stunning those are the ones
0: of course, yeah. In the words of bud the shoulders of the plant. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Leave the heads. <laughs> love it, love it. So, you are you entered the cup, and what was the end outcome? You got to you got to finish the story for us.
1: Yeah, basically, I entered that year, and at this point, a lot of the UK were entering, but. Everyone was smoking with tobacco in the UK at that point, even a lot of the growers from IC Mag. So although other good growers entered, when it came to all these Americans being over and judging, I was growing cocoa and had been growing pure for seven years, like six, seven years by that point. So I was so obsessed with the flush that mine smoked so well and I had such a good entry and it went off so good that I finished second place to John Lee Peddum JLP with Sour Diesel. He grew out sour diesel and got first place. I came second with Casey Jones. So for me to come second to one of the internet legends was just like a dream come true. That just like, that for me still is like just the most incredible one because it opened up a whole world of like friends and amazing contacts and just bloss everything blossomed from that point onwards.
0: Yeah, it sounds like an awesome win. I guess the thing which immediately jumps to mind for me is when you first started growing it out and dialing it in, did you realize how special of a cut it was or did you think like it was just pretty good?
1: Nah, I knew it was nuts, bro. It was nuts. The thing was yielding ridiculous. Like my first plant of it, I yielded like 12 ounces from the seed plant in a 10 liter pot of cocoa. It's like, it was just ridiculous. And the Terps on it were just insane. It was like, it was one of those ones, like I said, if you're at a party and you roll a joint, you pass it round, and as it goes round, you see people toke on the joint, look at the joint, and then look around the circle to ask someone like, what the fuck is this? Because it's literally hitting them with so much flavor that it's just coating their mouth.
0: Hell yeah, that's that's the goal, right? And (laughs) it was all
1: unique it was all unique it had like the background of Casey Jones is Orient Express which is Billy Goats Bangkok Betty a chocolate tie cross train wreck and then that was crossed with sour diesel so completely unique things like it was uh, there was no familiarity in any of those flavors to the to the palate of like a UK smoker
0: hell yeah So, there were some other cuts of Casey Jones that went around. There was like the schmo cut, but yours was um, considered the best for sure. But what did you think of the others? Did you ever get to try them?
1: Do you know what's funny? I had two cuts myself. I had a Thai as well that was incredible, but I let it go. It's like... I was then still at the mindset of like, oh, I can't have two Casey Jones, you know, like I'm trying to only really keep six mothers or something like that. And I always was of the like mindset of like, a new one's got to come in and knock one of those off. And eventually I have to whittle down my selection so that I have one of each strain. I was naive to to the reality of two of the same strain being unique enough to warrant both being kept.
0: Yeah, I can uh, I can certainly feel myself being guilty of that one as well at times. Regrets,
1: regrets, bro, regrets. But you know what? The strain was passed out and I smoked it a couple of years later and it was given to me as something different. They had mixed it up. They were calling it the Mass Sour because we had a Massachusetts sa- Super Skunk cross Sour Bubble and they gave me the bud and when they gave it to me I goes this is the Casey Jones cut I didn't even need to smell it nothing I goes that's not Mass Sour that's the Casey Jones but the guys wouldn't believe me it's my cuts both of them but they wouldn't believe me
0: oh there you go well (laughs) full circle right so were you breeding at that point no do you know what bro I
1: I wanted to become the best possible grower I could and I held breeders in such high regard that breeding wasn't even on my radar until it was until I was asked to do a project for someone the idea of breeding is like I had friends around me that were like growing hobby growers like myself like my friend Dr. D online uh, he I would grow out his seeds and he'd do little hobby breeding projects and even at that stage for me I was like I knew that it was there were levels that I hadn't reached as a grower the idea of breeding was like, to me, a slap in the face of people that were doing it because I thought you had to, I thought you should get to a certain, like master your craft in one regard before you try and get to a next stage. So it wasn't until I competed in the IC Mag Cup, I saw that my bud was on the levels. I met Mrs. Uh, Grateful, Grateful Head's wife. Uh, She was in the UK and I got to spend some time with her and she got to smoke everything I had. And she told me like, Barry, you're true. Your stuff is on point. Like you're on the level of all of us in America. Like this is the truth of it, bro. The best growers in the world are a nine out of 10. That's my thing. There's no, there's no tens because we all know that for every single minute of every single day, of an entire crop to go perfectly doesn't happen. Eventually, it will get to that point because technology and broom setups and grow techniques are evolving. But at the moment, it's not at that level. And how I feel is that the best grower in the world on a day-to-day is an eight out of 10. Occasionally, when you hit a nine, that's when you say to your peers, check this one out, this one's special. That's when I will, like, bother saying something. I'll maybe have 30 jars sometimes and offer them up just like, yeah, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. But there'll be one that I know peaked, one that really stood out and is on that level. It's like, ironically enough, at Spanabis last year, I grew a cheese plant that was that level. It was like, oh, this is as good as I've ever grown a plant. For whatever reason, this one had the right – fruit zone it was healthy happy the light was correct the temperature was right and people was were going crazy about it i've never had people people were just shocked they're like fucking hell bro i ain't had cheese like this ever like people were like really really excited about it and it was one of those ones that i knew it was the one i was saying to people like look these are all my things but even though these are all my creations this fucking cheese just came out crazy check it out and That is it really. Like I I I realised like once I realised I was in that realm of being able to attain eights and nines occasionally, that's when you kind of I was willing to take on the concept of doing some breeding.
0: Fantastic. So we're gonna we're gonna lose our linearity in time for a moment and fast forward for a second. I've heard from a few various sources that you frequently have the best flower at Spanibus most of the time. Do you agree with that? And what do you feel is the kind of state of affairs with the flower at Spanibus in general?
1: Also, there's Terp's Army Farm. There's there's I've got to mention them because. There's a couple, uh, a UK girl, and I think her boyfriend's Italian. They're called Terps Army Farm on Instagram. First of all, I have to shout them out because I have a massive amount of respect for them. They grow on that level. They're people that I would say are on the elite level of like, yeah, they're growing eights and nines consistently. They really put in the work and they really have a love and a passion for it. So before I big myself up, I definitely gotta give them a shout out because I love what they're doing. And there are other people that have got some amazing buds, but like I always plan for Spanabis, especially. It's like from from always, if there's an event, nothing pleases me more than being there in my element around my peers and people that when you show them things, they appreciate it. So I go above and beyond and out of my way to try and make sure that I've perfectly dialed everything down to the time in, so that the flowers haven't been cured for too long, they're not too fresh, try and get everything right and really just flush everything. It's like my genetics I believe in, and I know that if I flush everything right and it's clean, then that makes it stand out because I know there's a lot of like – oh, white ash is a myth and all of these kind of things. It's like, I'm no scientist, but I know the whiter the ashes, the more I enjoy it. So I don't want to talk for anyone else. I'm not saying I haven't had things that don't burn a little bit gray that weren't nice, but whiter ash is a smoother, cleaner, more enjoyable smoke for me. And those results are shown by the feedback that I get. And you'll notice that anyone that's ever talking about my bud in a good regard is often talking about the flush and how clean
0: it smokes. Yeah, for sure. So, let's go back in time now and go back. Tell me about the first cross you ever made. Was it intentional or was it an accident?
1: Do you know what? It's funny. The first first cross I ever made, I lost a project before I ever got to harvest the seeds or grow them out. That's kind of what got me on the path of breeding. I was doing a project for someone else, for a res dog from Reservoir C. Dun, 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 dun. Like That will have people like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that'll get people super like, I've triggered a bunch of people now. But it's like, don't worry, guys. I learned he was a fucking scumbag too, just like everyone else. But it's part of my my history nonetheless. So yeah, I, I was actually doing a project. I was doing a chem IBL. So I had, uh, started doing that project for Res, uh, because he knew that I knew the Chem I had got a lot of, uh, familiarity with that cutting by being around it a lot on the East coast. So when he actually asked me to do a project, it was the chem IBL because I realized two reasons. One, I was familiar with it. And two, because it was the IBL, he realized that he could ask me to do the project without having to give me the cut because it was just crossing the seeds in crossing and doing an IBL, so inbred line. So I didn't need to actually use the cutting. He just wanted me to select multiple males and hit the best females.
0: Yeah, he did a lot of interesting stuff where he'd like, you know, BX it, then F2 it or F3 it and stuff like that. Did he explain to you his rationale behind that at all?
1: He was a fan of Mr. Souls and the Cinderella 99 and the back crossing theory. So, that was his thoughts on that. Some of it. As people will tell you, there were there were versions that were good, there were ones that were bad, there were ups and downs. Some of it he did himself, some of it he farmed out to other people. Often it was farmed out to friends who fucked it up and the seeds still went out, so there were bad batches. So it was all there was always crazy stuff like that going on. The last batch of Sal Diesel IBL wasn't made by him, that was made by basically Connoisseur Genetics who just used two clones that weren't even given to him by Rez Dog. They were two Sour Diesel clones sourced by someone else. And it was just easier for Rez to do that. He was so burnt by getting uh, scammed for the East Coast Sour Diesel cut. Anyone who remembers IC Mag will remember the Friendly Friend fiasco where someone came. Uh, that was their name, Friendly Friend. It's like if someone's professing themselves to be called Friendly Friend, it's like, hmm, <laughs> You're pushing it a bit too hard, this friendliness. Do you know what I mean? You should have been suspicious with the name. But he ended up getting the East Coast Sour Diesel cut off Rez and starting his own line where he used that cut but called it Indonesian Diesel. And there was this big drama on Icy Mag and it was hilarious. But after that, Rez Dog like didn't want to give out the cut ever because you, you if you know the forum world back then, cuts were so guarded that... Once it was out and people had it, they were using it, breeding it, trading it. It was it was a crazy world for cuts back in the day. You had to earn your stripes to get a cut in. Things have changed so much these days. It's like Yeah, back in the day it was like it was a sign of respect to know that you had like certain cuts because you had done something to get to that point where someone offered you a cut. You wouldn't go out asking for cuts. You would earn your stripes by putting in the work and then the right people would see what you were doing and offer you the right
0: things. Yeah, wow. So, I guess the question that I want to ask is, how did you lose the project, as you said?
1: Basically, being in a prohibition state like the UK where I used to live, the house got robbed for the grow. Oh, no. Which is... It's like the way things always work, right? Like I say, loose lips sink ships. And what happened is that the business partner who arranged the property had a best friend. And that best friend robbed us. Because sadly, with prohibition and the way things are, it brings a lot of negative attention from the wrong types of people. And people will get into their heads that they can justify doing those kind of things and all of a sudden you lose a project and it's like it was a sad thing to lose. It's like I had two rooms. One was the seed project and one was the flower project. And it's like to lose the seeds was more heartbreaking. It's like you're fucking idiots. You've stolen a bunch of seeds that are worthless to you. Like, and now yeah. I've lost everything. So that was that was the first loss I ever had. It's like the first time I ever did anything with anyone other than myself myself. I lost the project.
0: So what happened after that? You just stopped working with Rez?
1: After that, by that stage, I then stopped working with Rez. Rez was doing all kinds of weird shit. He basically blocked a mutual friend from giving me the East Coast Sour Diesel cut, uh, like to some super sly moves. And he had like uh, just generally started to show his true colors and reveal himself not to be, like, this is the thing with Rez. His perception online was a scumbag piece of shit. He used to come across so rude and abrasive that he wasn't likable. I clashed with him online. The only reason I ever got to know him is because I was friends with Grateful Head and Mrs. Grateful, the creators of Casey Jones. I was friends with them, and they, in turn, were friends with Res Dog.
0: Hmm. There you go. And I guess they just had a better relationship with him than most, I guess.
1: Yeah. And that's how I met him, by going to America to visit them and then in turn meeting him. And I got to be in those circles and be around him. And then over a period of time, he just turned out to be a fucking a major, major piece of shit in real life. But as with a lot of people who have like a certain degree of intelligence, they're able to say the right things at the right time to people, tune into their frequency and use them to their own ends and gain. So that's, that's the kind of person he turned out to be. And then, yeah, I was kind of lucky that when they had a whole bunch of drama and all got busted... I was in prison myself, so (laughs) I wasn't visiting America, seeing them at that time, gladly.
0: Wow, Jail, how did that happen?
1: I got busted with my partner at Connoisseur Genetics. Basically, after the first res dog project, I had all of my female selections from the chem project, plus I had all of my female selections from just growing as a grower, because I would have like, I had a variety of different things. I had motor breath from Jimmy Nitz back in the day. This is like 2008, 2009. I had it before it had a name. It was just crosses that he gave me when I went and visited America because I have I met Jimmy Nitz in America. He's one of the best growers, most humble, and he's the guy that changed my whole thoughts on Feminized Seeds. He's San Fernando Valley Reversal that he done to Trainwreck and to the ChemD are, to this day, my top 10 fems I've ever grown. Probably yeah. motorbreath. Motor breaths in my probably top five ever.
0: Well, It's interesting you say that because I actually had the question I wanted to ask you. Do you ever feel like motorbreath is kind of similar to the truth? On paper, they look like they've got a lot of similar elements.
1: Basically, I've tried to get that same chem turp is what i love the fart gas 80s joke shop fart gas that turp that smell that people smell it go raw that smells like fart gas that is what chem d smells like to me in its essence so with the motor breath you had like an og structure with that foul rotten chem d stank and that's what i like in the truth like, that does come through in the truth That that's a Terp that I love and I, I've often like worked towards
0: Would you consider the truth to be kind of your most well-known strain?
1: Yeah, Terpzilla as well is like quite well-known, that one Uh, like was grown out by a good few friends and got into some good growers hands so it won a few cups that's another one that's real well known and hyped up that I've had that for a long time as well so and I've never released it so it's kind of I think that's more kind of made it more well known as well the fact it hasn't been released it's just been grown and people have got to smoke it and it's picked up a few cups
0: It's interesting you mentioned the Terpzilla because that one uses the Turparella, and that one caught my eye because it's got that chocolate tie in it and I was wondering where did that come from and do you think that maybe plays a role in why Terpzilla, even though a bit of a distant relative, why it does kind of shine through as one of your more well-known crosses? Do you know
1: what it is? I think it may be getting them mixed up. Yeah, it should have sent chocolope. That I'll be honest with you. That strain there is a fem seed that an IC mag member made. And when I started True Canogenetics, I'll be honest, I never, I don't like making fem seeds. <laughs> That's the truth of it. So when I originally started True Canogenetics, I was under pressure to release some fem seeds. And one of my friends had made the chocolope cross super silver haze, which is Turporella. So he had those seeds and I just said to him, look, bro, I'll release those through true kind genetics because I need to sell some Fem seeds because the market is just going crazy for them at the moment. And I don't want to make them. I want to focus on regular breeding. So that one isn't even made by me. That's the one and only time a strain or anything has ever been released by me that wasn't made by me, myself, the seeds. So, it's nice to get that out there because, you know what I mean, it's like it's not something I try and hide and generally, it's not something I would ever do but that one, yeah, that one isn't made by me.
0: Yeah, no, that's all good. We've heard other breeders talk about doing similar things. So, I mean, we've talked about how the truth is one of your like more well-known strains but let's put that in contrast to what do you feel is your best strain? Like, it may be there's something which kind of flies under the radar a little bit. What's your personal favourite?
1: I'll be honest with you. Do you know what the the real like the real king strain for me is my Chem Valley cooks, but I've not released it because my whole philosophy behind that is that when I got the forum cut, I got it from a, an IC mag member called Crunch Bubble. Uh, he got it with the crew uh, that he's with in San Francisco. Another grower called Abba Roots, whose uh, seed company is called Always Be Flowering, I think it is, and. They passed us the cut. Like, I, when I came out of prison in 2011, they sent me the forum Girl Scout cookies, and that was a groundbreaking strain. But when I bred with it, I knew that, like, I get no pride from breeding something that just tastes like cookies. So what I'd done is when I created Chem Valley Cooks and crossed it with an SFV Chem Dog Mail, I never wanted to release that because really – it was very cookie-dominant, the females. What I wanted to do was search for a male that when I bred with that male, it gave all of the bag appeal and favorable traits of the cookies, but allowed me to impart all of the flavor from the mother plant. And that's why I love the Ken Valley Cooks, because it's allowed me as a breeding tool to release a variety of strains now that are giving me the turt profiles that I want but the bag appeal that the modern market is obsessed with. So I've got one at the moment like uh, called Crimson Cookies and another one called Chemonade. The Chemonade everyone's loving at the moment and that's a grape lemonade crossed with the Chem Valley Cooks. And grape lemonade is a Lemon Larry OG cross Chem Dog cross Granddaddy Purple.
0: Wow, okay. And so when could we expect possibly able to possibly be able to get those for ourselves?
1: That one's available at the moment. The Kemenade's available in regular seeds now. Those are out there. All my seeds come in packs of 15. The reason right. I do that is because, you know what, I'm obsessed with uh, like as a grower, I always wanted to be able to have my selection and then keep a few. So for the average grower, I'm confident that from a pack of 15 seeds, you can pop 10 seeds, find at least one amazing keeper and then have five seeds. So that if ever anything happens, you've got five seeds from that original pack because there's something in growers' heads that no matter what, if they've had a keeper from a pack of seeds and they lose it, even if it's the same, slight like strange, same parents, they really have an affinity for that pack of seeds that it came from. So if they've got a few left over that they can go back to, they feel more happy that they've got that. So I kind of feel like 15 seeds in a pack is a nice number for a grower to have and give them a little backup.
0: Yeah, I like that. Applied psychology and breeding and marketing. There we go, a new one. But um, I just want to go back to a minute because I was actually talking to our buddies from Always Be Flowering just earlier today, in fact, and he mentioned I mentioned I was going to be chatting with you and he actually basically kind of relayed similar information to what you just said. But what I wanted to ask was, he said, you know, you were one of the first people, if not, you know, the first pe- person in the UK to get the forum cut. How did that change the scene? Was it like what happened at that point when you got it?
1: Without any shadow of a doubt, we were the first. Me, like I, the, the cuts were sent to me and immediately shared with my business partner at the time, uh, OJD of Connoisseur Genetics. That's who I was working with at the time. We, I got those cuts. It was incredible, bro. I couldn't believe how, how, how they got to me. Like literally, we come out of prison. Got messaged by my buddy Crunch Bubble, and he said, like, look, man, we love you guys. We love what you're doing. We've got something special for you. We want to send you. And he FedExed me cuts, and they were there within three days. I had six rooted cuts of the Girl Scout cookies and six unrooted cuts. They all rooted, and all of a sudden, we had the most insane, mind-blowing strain we had seen in fucking years. It was a game-changer, bro. It, it literally, like, people in London in 2011, 2012 were paying £10,000 a kilo for Girl Scout cookies. £10 a gram all the way. You want a kilo? Cost £10 a gram for the kilo. And that was people were buying that happily, doubling their money, and it was selling out. People were, like, going home raiding their bank fucking looking down the sofa people like okay i'll get 10 10 i'll get 10 20 drawers like people were just going crazy for it it was a game changer bro it's that level where every now and again a turk profile a look something comes along you know like at one point it was purple bud that was so rare when the blackberry uh, cut that was on overgrow popped up, it was like my god, purple bud, like, and that's how it is. When new buds come along, they're just game changers. And cookies did that. It's like it was crazy. The people that got it were going wild.
0: Hell yeah! And so, were you breeding at that point, or were you looking to get back into it after your little stint? Yeah,
1: yeah, we were breeding at that point. It's like the the, the truth of it is, is that at Connoisseur Genetics, when when we were making seeds, OJD was making seeds, I was making seeds, and OJD had another friend who was making a lot of seeds for us too. So when we were locked up, we were still having seeds produced. So we were never stopping. Me and OJ, we're no longer friends. We don't get on. Things happen, perspective, different views, such as life. But we went through some adventures. And when we got locked up, and we're in prison for trying to win a high times and getting busted. We sat in prison, made strain names up, made phone calls, relayed that info, had our work still released and lived on in prison. We did not stop. I made a point of teaching at least five people how to grow when I was in prison. I made a point. I was like, you think you'll stop me, but you will multiply me because I will teach as many people as possible, how easy it is and what a wonderful life you can have from growing. And that's what I made a point of doing. We continued to run the business. I learned Photoshop and use it in my business to this day. It's like I made the most of it. I was like, you won't stop me. I'll use it against the, the system and I will use it for my for my cannabis business.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So at what point did you diverge and start your own company?
1: Basically, after we came out of prison, me and OJ tried to work together. And as with a lot of people that do business together, business and friendship doesn't mix. So it got to the point where I walked away from Connoisseur Genetics. Uh, would have been like it would have been around 2011, end of 2011, or maybe early 2012. And then that's when I started True Canada Genetics. Like, in order, like, when I walked away, I wanted to try and salvage a friendship, so I started fresh. It's like my original releases through True Canogenetics, rather than do anything with anything that we'd done, I released a couple of femme things that I had done that he hadn't, so it was kind of unique. Like, Turtzilla originally did get released in limited packs on IC Mag, so a few packs went out. And was sold, but it was small amounts. Same with the Purple Halitosis, the Grape Lemonade, and a few other Fem Crosses. I released those through True Cana Genetics originally, but they were small batches. When it actually came to full distribution, I started with Fresh Pallet and I went for regular seeds, and I've always wanted to try and stay on that line. So what I did is, because I'd become such a fan of the ChemDog profile, and from growing the ChemDog IBL and the ChemDog backcross Cross work that i done with Connoisseur Genetics, I got some SFV, Cross ChemDog, and that is what I used as a male to hit up a few different things to start the foundation of True Canna Genetics. And one of the original strains was Chem Valley Cooks, also the Truth, uh, Sagan star which was a Sensi star cross and then broadleaf black which was a black domino cross or black demeanour I never know how that one's pronounced
0: I think you said it right one of the two times. I don't know which one either, (laughs) but um, (laughs) it's interesting you bring that up because I wanted to talk to you about that, specifically the SFV ChemDog component. Was that uh, one of the various SFV IBLs crossed to the ChemDog? Like, how did the genetics work? Because on face value, it sounds like two clone onlys, right? So, I'm wondering where the male part is.
1: That is ResDog's ChemD backcross. It's this it's the back cross to the second back cross. A male from that was hit to the San Fernando Valley OG Kushka.
0: Ha Haha, okay, cool. Well, when you put that in context, it then actually kinda makes me feel like the Chem Valley Cooks is kind of like it's not all that different from a GMO thing in a way, you know, like it's got the similar components.
1: Yeah, the GMO kills me because it's like I love that it's taken like it's taken this long for everyone to fall in love with the Chem D Terp it's like it had to look like cookies for the modern <laughs> generation to fall in love with it because that's what the Terp is do you know what I mean that is straight Chem D Terps but it's just got all the bag of pill that everyone goes wild for so yeah that's like that is a it's, it's a good look and it's a beautiful Terp it is.
0: So, how would you compare the Chem Valley Cookies to something like the GMO or one of the very other various other Chem Dog Girl Scout hybrids, like Chem Scout or whatever? Like the GMO, like most notably, has that horrendously long flowering time, right? How does the Chem Valley Cookies compare to those ones?
1: Well, what it is, yeah, with the to really get that turp from the Chem D, I've crossed the Chem Valley Cooks with the Truth. So then what you're getting is you're getting the SFE chem from both sides. That one I've called Trudeau. And that one has got the chem to to perfection. It's got that wicked fart gas stink. And that one finishes at like eight, nine weeks, 10 if you really want to push it. And that one's got all of the bag appeal, it's got low leaf to bud ratio, it's like super, super dense, and it's got super, super high resin content. It's like, oh, I've been pressing rosin on my Sasquatch, and my God, it's just amazing. I I showed my friend yesterday, and I love it because it was one of those times when you let them smell it, and they tell you the thing that it smells of before you give them any hints, and he said straight away, that smells like fart gas. And it's like, he goes, not in a bad way, but Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, I do know what you mean. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. The fact you said it just put a big smile on my face. So, yeah, I reckon it's there. In the Chem Valley Cooks itself, that one, the flowers, the one that I've selected as a keeper, I've kind of gone away from the turp. I've gone for like a sweeter, more floral, doughy kind of terp for the actual Chem Valley Cooks itself. So that one, I, I'm, I'm testing at the moment. I've done the set, like a, a, an in-cross of that, and I'm waiting to see what they're like. I haven't had an opportunity to grow them out, but I've, I've not been rushed to get the Ken Valley Cooks out as a strain itself, because like I said, for me, it was more about selecting a male to use as a breeding tool than releasing the flowers.
0: Yeah, of course. So. We're trying to continue on the story, so to speak. At what point did you decide? At what point did you decide to leave the UK and head over to Spain?
1: Do you know what happened after? After originally getting busted, going to the high times, and going to prison, I decided to send Bud to Amsterdam, and that was a nightmare. When it got there, I just wasn't happy with how it was after having sent it, and. I literally decided to myself, the only way I'm ever going to win a high times is if I am in a city, grow the fucking bud out, put it into Tupperware, walk up to the people and hand it over like that. That's how I need to do it. And I decided, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And tied in with that as well. At the time, a crazy, a fucked up thing happened is that my girlfriend at the time came to visit me from America, got refused entry into the UK and I ended up just saying to her like look move to amsterdam like i'm going there to grow now anyway it was only a matter of time i need to fucking do a, do a high times in amsterdam so it was like it was kind of perfect timing for me to leave england and go to go to amsterdam and be in the city and win a high times which from being a kid before even growing you know like seeing the high times and the high times cup it was always so prestigious and it's like a lot of people want to criticize it and yeah i could probably talk some shit about high times too but at the end of the day yeah proof is in the pudding and the fact that someone like me could place and win in the high times the fact that someone like lady sativa genetics can win the fact that someone like karma genetics can win all those times That is the fact that Fino finders, the fact that all these people can win is proof that smaller people can win these cups and it's not all about who does the big sponsorship, who does this, who does that. It's like for me to win a second place high times blew my mind. It's like the reality is that the small guys, when they go to the high times, your first place is third place. You expect the big boys to sweep one and two and then The up and coming little guy who's making a name and putting in some work might snag a third place, but then five other guys equally deserving are going to lose out. So when I stood there and they said second, like they said the third place, I looked at my cousin and said, Oh, well, it's been fun. And then they said second place winner. That just blew my mind. It's like, and it shows that like putting in work and fucking dedicating yourself to something can can pay off
0: cool so you're in Amsterdam and you'd won second place at what point then did you travel like where'd you go at that point Amsterdam was
1: such a crazy adventure anyone that's ever lived in Amsterdam knows that it's the most like you can you can smoke around smoke can go to coffee shops smoke all of that but trying to grow there is so fucking difficult it is mind-bending. Like you will literally move into a place and a neighbor will come and knock on your door and ask you who you are and what you're doing. As if that's just a cool thing to do. Like they want to know and they are on to everything. So when I originally went there, I had a huge grow with a coffee shop and the grow got robbed. Huh. So before before I ever even got a harvest out of it, it got robbed and then I was left in a situation where I literally had to throw two 400 watt lamps into a room in my apartment, pop four packs of seeds, I had to grow the seeds out for eight weeks, harvest eight weeks, dry for two weeks, and then I had one week to trim and hand into the high times. And I literally, for my high times entry, I entered a whole plant including the tiny little like 0.3 gram nuggets and everything because it was just a whole plant. I had to enter it without smoking it. I just had to choose what plants I was going to enter.
0: Gee whiz. And what – sorry, what plant was that?
1: That was all of them. I entered like – I entered The Truth that year. Uh, I entered – I think maybe we entered Ken Valley Cooks. We entered a few different things and – sorry that's my dehumidifier going crazy <laughs> i entered a few different things uh, but the uh, truth is the one that won second place and i literally had to like i said i had to just choose the plants and enter them because each plant because i only had like a couple of weeks to veg and had to do everything in such a small space of time because of losing the other grow i didn't have big enough plants to even really do selection i just had to kind of eye it but the tr- I was going to say the truth is, and it's ironic that I say that, is that I knew from week five the winning plant. Like my my friend that I was living with at the time, who runs an extraction company called Yellow Brick Labs, we knew. Like when I showed him, like smell this one, he was like, yeah. He just confirmed to me, you know, when you know the standout plant, he just gave me the nod, just to say, yeah. That's fucking abrasive. It just had such a beautiful, aggressive smell. So that was the one that I knew was special, and that was the one that got me the place. Very special place in my heart, that one.
0: Lovely. So how long did you continue to hang out in Amsterdam for?
1: Bro, like I said, it was so difficult to live there. Everything was so difficult to do, and it was so expensive that I won a High Times in November. In December I went to Morocco to like a, a beautiful farm over there to like do some like some research for them. They basically wanted me to find out what was left on the material after they had done four grades of hash. After it had been hit four times and they'd got everything off of it. Was there anything left on the material? Because imagine if you've got five ton of material and there's resin left on it and you throw it away what's the potential?
0: a little bit of cumulates
1: yeah so it was incredible to go there and find out that one of the strains had 4% return and another one had 7% return with just a crude simple like open blasted like BHO extraction just to get numbers so as far as distillate somewhere like Morocco just has fucking incredible incredible potential
0: so, was it then you transitioned over to Spain?
1: Yeah, my plan was always to go to Spain uh, after I won a high time. So, after that, it was uh, a couple of trips to Barcelona to settle things up. And then I moved there in the early part of 2015. And Barcelona, the Cannabis Social Club scene, had always appealed to me. Before I even moved to Amsterdam, i had said to friends like, yeah, eventually – spain and barcelona with the cannabis social club scene is going to be the place and once a bunch of friends were living there and i'd met loads of people that were were over here with clubs and doing things the opportunity was here to to come over and people kind of invited me to work and a lot of opportunities opened up
0: and so is the european scene kind of the mecca that it's made out to be especially spain
1: Barcelona is the epicenter of the European cannabis industry by far. It's taken over Amsterdam. This is the place where people come on a regular basis, you know, as a kid, like from the age of 15 onwards, I was going to Amsterdam constantly. Like most English people, it's a 50 minute flight, it costs less than a hundred pounds. You can fly to Amsterdam for a day if you want, do you know what I mean? And hang out. It's like people, I know people that have been 50 times in their lifetime to Amsterdam because they do, they view it like a weekend away. Like you can spend more money getting taxis around London than what you do if you get a last minute flight over to Amsterdam. So people would do that so regular, but as Amsterdam has tried to push out the cannabis culture and kind of fancied the whole place up, it's kind of given the opportunity for Barcelona to have a thriving social club scene and to start to draw all of those same people over here. And with a variety of different like airlines, uh, with the seasons that are quite mild over here, everyone loves it. And I've got friends that nobody I know who's been here once has only been here once. They all come back many times and often two or three times a year.
0: What a what a little ad for it all. <laughs> so, what's the Barcelona scene like in your opinion? Are you in the heyday currently or is the best yet to come?
1: It is awesome. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible to be in a place where people have the opportunity to make something of themselves, you know, like to be at the start of any industry where people with passion are able to put in the work, find their niche fine tune it and then put it out to the world and build a brand it's amazing to see from all the different social clubs that have a variety of styles to them so that no matter what kind of person you are you can find somewhere that suits your vibe that has your kind of people whether it's one up which is like full of retro computer games with an amazing menu, with a cereal bar with like 50 different breakfast cereals, all the American fancy Fruit Loops with marshmallows and all of that kind of stuff. There's that incredible place. Then there's Trestle, which is like the most insane artwork. It's got like already like 20 plus pieces of art from some of like the world's most incredible street artists. Uh, there's places like La Colada, which has got the most amazing murals and like a real laid back vibe with like lots of in house work. Same with Wee Flowers, where they do a lot of their own growing, extracting, Alma Social Club. There's so many good ones, and there's something for everyone. It's like, there's places like the plug that are for the like younger guys that are like, like the trap music and like the, like all the hype strains and all the like super like latest, greatest Cali this and Skittles that and all of those kind of things. It's like, yeah, it's an incredible place with the clubs. Now you're starting to get shops are popping up. You know, you're getting like real high end head shops. There's a place called head stash Barcelona that now have anything that touches in America glow trays, the Puffco peak attachments, they've got everything so you can go there and get all your backwood clothes, you know, like I'm pushing 40, I'm not going to buy backwards clothes, I don't even smoke backwards, but I I know what these 20-year-olds are like and it's like, to be able to get all of this stuff that's in America that everyone's seeing on Instagram, to now be able to get it in Barcelona you'll get people from England flying over just to get the latest, greatest stuff from this shop because they've got all the like exclusives that you can't get anywhere else. So it's adding to the culture and the scene. It's like, there's a new place that's opened up called the Wakeham bakery, which is like a stoner friendly food spot. That's got loads of baked goods. So they're just stoner guys that have opened a place and they've used the old, uh, name wake and bakery which is an awesome one because i knew a place on the east coast called the wake and bakery so slowly you're getting things with the cannabis museum that sense you've got you know you've got other things starting to pop up so that on top of the social club scene you've got other things for people that are in that scene to come and see and do and it's adding to the to the culture massively out here
0: yeah what an awesome description of it all so one thing I wanted to touch on which you yourself referenced the hype game it's a part of the American scene which I don't really enjoy that much myself you kind of referenced it but I'll outright ask it has it infected the Barcelona scene and are the plug kind of like the equivalent of the Jungle Boys of Barcelona? Uh,
1: the plug's just like incredible basically he's built the most incredible like spot like what he's done there people try to replicate and anyone that tries to replicate it they fail he came and done the perfect spot for people who are interested in the latest greatest things uh the latest kind of like music, like the, the UK scene's putting out, the American crossover, he's got a record label, so he's got all the like, best music playing for that age group and that, that genre. So it's not my style of place, but it's incredible. And what he does is he not only has all the latest, greatest strains from Cali, but he also has loads of stuff grown locally as well. He does source out good local stuff. So he has everything across the board. That's the truth of it. It's like a lot of people want to hate on whoever's doing really well, and 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 that's that's just the that's just the modern day mentality. It's probably been in the way since day one, since existence. But what he's got there is an incredible place. But it's not for everyone. That's why I said Barcelona is incredible, bro. It's like if you like guitar music and acoustic. Stuff you, you'll find a club that's got free guitars sat in the corner for you to go and play guitar. If you like the latest, greatest grime music, trap music, the latest strains that have just dropped, then there's somewhere for that. If you like art, there's somewhere for that. If you like computer games, there's somewhere for that. So, with the plug, like they are killing the hype game, but they're doing it properly. And they are getting the best stuff. Do you know what I mean? They have the connections to get the flavors. What annoys me is some of the other spots that are just like trying to be that, but they're getting shit Calibud and trying to charge through the nose for it and promoting that massively and trying to convince the world that Calibud's better because their markup and profit margin on that Calibud is higher. And that's where the problems are. The problems aren't places that are trying to get the best thing for people to try the latest, greatest things. The problem is places that are getting sub par but that are pri- pricing it crazy, and then all the staff push that over local grown stuff to people who don't know any better. And that is rife. And the hype game with that regard is kind of fucking bad in Barcelona because. Unless you go to clubs where there's educated staff who can educate people about the grower and the genetics, they just sell the latest, greatest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the same everywhere, I think. But... I want to touch on something you mentioned there, you know, you said that there is a variety of different things on offer depending on where you go. So, I'd love to talk about some kind of Spain-specific clone-onlys and your experiences with them. And the one I most want to ask you about is a plan I've always had on my mind forever. Have you ever smoked that clone-only of Queen Mother that goes around Spain?
1: No, I don't.
0: What is, what's the background on it? Haha. So, it's from the Delicatessen crew who are kind of like friends with Cannabiogen and it's across of like a reunion island with like this Congo hybrid, so real raw sativary land race. But apparently, there's this specific cut that goes around Spain of it that's just meant to be insane. I, I think
1: there's a cut. That's a Congo one called Lily or something like that. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. That's that's the name of the cut, Lily.
1: Yeah. I yeah, know yeah. yeah. Incredible so, t- bro. I have smoked it. It's one of the be- it's one of the only standout things I've ever smoked in Barcelona that when I first came here in 2015, I think I was given that in La Colada and wee Flowers. They both have that cut. I think I was gifted it in La Colada. And it was the best example I've smelt of it. What a beautiful profile. I was like, Congolese? Is this really a Congolese? I was like, fuck, this is so tropical. Beautiful, bro. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, cool. That's one which doesn't get talked about a lot. But I mean, on that point, what's going on with Ace and CannabioGen? Do you have any contact with those guys at all? I just feel like they've kind of fallen off a bit.
1: Did they, was there like fallings out between them? Was there some craziness where... Ace was meant to have taken the genetics of Cannabiogen and they split up or something. And he's like, yeah, there's some kind of like conflict I heard from someone.
0: Okay. Yeah. I just noticed that both of them have seemingly stopped putting out new releases, whereas they were on a bit of a good run for a while.
1: Basically, what I got told, I'll speculate. This is total speculation. This is what someone told me. Someone basically told me that Cannabiogen was the one who was really doing the work and that Ace kind of half-jacked them. So... That's the story I heard. Whether that's true or not, it would explain why they both stopped doing it. Because if one guy didn't make it,
0: yeah, the, the guy other can't did. Jacket.
1: Yeah, <laughs> now it's all gone, and he can't make them again because he jacked them, or whatever. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, it's yeah. a strange one.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it's totally possible in the sense that Charlie Garcia is well known from the Cannabiogen crew as being a legit breeder. So, it would make sense that they're the ones doing the work. Um, but anyway, you know, maybe we'll find out the answer to that one another day. So, is there anyone doing anything over there that's kind of really innovating in your opinion?
1: Yeah, do you know what? There's a few crews out here. There's like a lot of hash making crews. Spain is a hash making culture, so because of the hash making culture, there's incredible thing people doing like amazing work out here. You have got like Eminem extracts, La Sagrada Familia extracts, uh, the guys from We Flowers, uh, Alma Social Club, La Colada, uh, Nerd Extracts, who has a One Up Club. Uh, also, you've got a UK guy called. Ah, oh, his name will come to me in a minute. I'm having a brain freeze. But, yeah, there's loads of good people over here, bro, doing loads of good work and building brands. There's, there's, like, growers. There's a grower called Nectar Monkey that I know that does, like, live soil. And, like, he really puts in the work to, like, put out an incredible high-end product. And you get a lot of people that will, like, do everything in-house where – They're growing things, they're pressing stuff themselves, they've got rosin, they've got flowers. Do you know what I mean? I've got a friend that does edibles as well. So him and his his girlfriend, he grows, she makes edibles that they sell to the club. It's like, they're called fresh flower farm and fresh flower edibles. It's like, that's the kind of thing I mean. There's like, they came here from England and were able to build a life for themselves by taking some risks, putting in a bit of work, persevering going through some ups and downs but having a goal and a dream and wanting to come and do something and barcelona allows you to like find your niche and find your spot and like build something so there's lots of people doing cool stuff that's another one i have to mention growers with attitude they are doing incredible stuff over there.
0: Yeah, shout out to those guys for sure. So, I guess the next question that jumps to mind based off that is, how hard is it realistically for someone to pack their bags and move over there? Give me a little bit of a rundown. Is it feasible or is it quite easy?
1: Basically, you've got to have enough money to set yourself up for six months really. That's what it boils down to. It's like you've got to be able to come over here and afford to lay down deposits and rent on a house for the first six months. So that you can find a house, move in, set yourself up, get a crop down, and then the ball's rolling. So anyone who can set themselves into a position to do that and can get it right can do it. But it's not that easy. You've got to find the right house. You've got to make sure that you can rent that house. You've got to make sure that you've got the documentation and the bank account that you can show someone that you're self-employed, that you're a computer programmer, artist, designer, and that you work online and set yourself up and get a house and then once you're in the house you can set yourself up and be a part of the scene but it's not that easy bro it's like it's easy if you can make it happen but it's not just pack your bags turn up and it all falls into place it takes a, a lot of planning and a lot of fucking determination and a bit of cash as well it's like it's not cheap to You know what it's like with anywhere, you've got to pay one month to the agent, maybe a couple of months as a deposit. And then really, you need to have your first three or four months rent ready to be paid so that you can get a crop out.
0: Yeah, pretty sound advice.
1: Electricity is always an issue here. The houses are wired so bad that most of them are limited. You can barely run any electricity. So you've got to find a house where you can actually run enough electricity to grow properly. So there's a lot of factors like that where it's like once you're here, there's a wonderful sense of privacy and your house is your castle. Everyone minds their own business and a lot of people grow. My neighbors grow. They go into their grow room. When they open the door, it opens out into their garden. They don't do it discreetly. They don't give a fuck. It lights up the hill that we live on. I live on like a mountain. It lights it up that at least six houses down the hill know these guys are growing. They had 20, like 15, 20 foot plants in their garden. It's like they harvested the whole thing in their back garden. It's like they don't care. And I've got other neighbors that have got plants in their front garden. So it's like people mind their own business out here. If you haven't, if you're not showing off, if you're not a flash fucker who's driving a fancy car around working class people, stinking a weed all the time and making a noise, you're gonna be cool. It's like I, most of the people I know that come out here and live well, it's like the guys at uh, Terps Army Farm and Fresh Flowers uh, Farm, Dave's guys, peaceful people, not flash people, have come out here, set themselves up well and keep themselves to themselves, a polite, don't, don't be too into the locals because you don't want to get into too many conversations. It's like I tell people I've got a t shirt company because I have a t shirt company. It's like, so that's it. I can run my t shirt company from Spain. That's why I live here. And I go to the post office and send my t shirts all the time. So,
0: yeah, makes sense.
1: <laughs> it is wonderful. It is very private, but it's not like I've seen a lot of people think because they see a lot of people like myself over here doing it well, that people just think it's easy to come over and do. It's like, but everyone has to realize what I put on Instagram is what I want the world to see. That's my business fucking page. Like, you'll get a little bit of who I am, but I can't tell you every up and down and trials and tribulations I'm going through. So when people ask me, I will always encourage them, but I'll give them a heads up and let them know, like, look, these are the pitfalls. You've got to be aware of this, this. This is what you need to do. But it is possible if you have... A real passion for growing and you really see yourself wanting to do it and take that risk and come and live somewhere because there's always risks to everything do you know what I mean we're still in a prohibition state things are crazy in Barcelona at the moment the Spanish police are beating the fuck out of protesters and yeah it's a it's a very volatile spot at the moment but I love it here it's given me a wonderful life even through the ups and downs that it provides
0: yeah right on so, in the, in the scene over there, what's it like with the growers? Are they looking to pop new things and find the next best thing or are they all just trying to get like the hype clones from the States?
1: It falls into the two categories, bro. If you can't like, well, I'll make a, I'll make a like, this is like a, a, like a dig. This is like a digger, people. I already know before I say it, yeah. So, I'll be honest and say it in that way. There's two types. There's the people that can't grow quite well enough to make and select something and make it shine and make it sell on that merit. So they need to go with hype strains to sell their bud. And then there are that level of grower who grow so well and have so much passion that what they want to do is select their own thing because they're growing is able to make that shine as much as any elite, and they can get the same money as someone selling a Skittles cut grown out or a Giletto cut grown out. So there are a lot of people that are like, no, do you know what? I can do my own selection and find something unique and grow it to that level. And that's what I like to see. It's, like, it's probably evenly split. A lot of people are just jumping on the hype and trying to get the latest, greatest cuts. That's always going to be the case. But a lot of the time, there's a lot of sharing in Barcelona and you do see cuts passed around. So it's kind of more like, I'd like to say it's more on the positive side where people are hunting for keepers. In the UK, that's happening a lot now. That, that I've seen blowing up more and more in the UK recently. I've noticed that because cuttings are going to the worst growers, you know, like people who are like average growers will buy cuts. And because of that, the elite growers that used to get those cuts, because this is, let's be honest, this is how it used to be in my mind. When you were at a certain level of growing, cuts would come your way. It's like I got to a certain level and I got the cheese cut from Brightside, who was an mag grower. And it's like that is because I'd grown to a certain level. It's like you would never get that cut out to someone who wasn't growing to a certain level because you want that cut's reputation to be withheld. It's like that was the whole thing. Is like elite cuts went to elite growers, and that's why they were elite. The minute they go to average growers, they lose their shine and their reputation is ruined. And now the UK is seeing that because all of these hype cuts are being grown out by average growers, which is then ruining the market, and they're realizing there's more longevity in finding something unique themselves and building a brand so that people come back for that specific thing
0: yeah no truer words ever spoken but to loop back to a point you just made about how cuts are shared around in spain i wanted to ask you you've bred with a plant called nicole is this the same nicole that the dna crew got from that spanish dude and what's the plant like either way
1: Nicole is the cut from Marin who's a Colombian guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's a friend that gave me that cut. It is the same one that uh, DNA used to make the uh, what is it they made with it? I can't remember. Kosh, uh, no, the Nicole Kush. They made Nicole Kush with it by crossing it to the Kosher Kush.
0: Uh, okay, and so yeah, what's what's Nicole like as a plant, and what do you think pairs well with it?
1: To be honest with you, as a plant, as flower form, I'm not a fan of it. Like I didn't like the way it smoked. The unique thing about Nicole is the resin type. It has a type of resin that comes away from the plant and is the most solid resin you can imagine. To make static sifts with it and to do extracts and things like that, it makes just ridiculously rigid extracts. It's an incredible hash making plant. And that's why it's become one of the biggest hash making strains in Morocco is the Nicole Kush. When they crossed it with the with the, the kosher kush, it's kind of given it a a little bit more to it, added a bit more flavour and really allowed the resin to just drop like crazy. I heard that they were making something like four times the yield with the Nicole Kush from crops to like their own stuff. So crazy yield, it's an incredible hash mate
0: so i looked up the genetics on it and it's largely just a mixture of kind of like blue satellite and shishka berry and a few other blueberry type of things
1: mk ultra
0: yeah yeah that's in the mix as well how do you feel about the blueberry flavors and does that shine through in that clone at all
1: yeah it does you know there is that blue like it has got that blueberry like there is a hint to it that kind of stands out. It's very unique. It's very, very unique like in the market. You know, like there's nothing – do you know what really it smells like? It reminds me of uh, one of uh, the Great Gardener strains because that's also got the shishka berry in it. So it's like it's the shishka berry turf that kind of dominates because I've smelled it also. Is it – what one is it from the Great Gardener? I can't remember what strain it is. Is it the Barbara Bud or one of those ones? Yeah,
0: Barbara Bud, Afghani across shishka berry.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's, it's, got the, it's got a familiar terp. So basically, whatever the shishka berry is, if you ever get a chance to smell something with the shishka berry, no, that's very similar to the Nicole.
0: Yeah, okay. Interesting, interesting. And so, while we're talking about flavors, what is your favorite flavors in cannabis?
1: Do you know what? I like tropical. That's the, like, you know, real tropical floral notes. I like those, but I also like... It sounds crazy, but I remember once a girl texting me and saying, "Is purple? can purple be a flavor? And I'm like, that's what I'm working towards. I hope so kind of thing because she had dabbed something of mine and wanted to know if purple was a flavor. And like that's the flavors that I like. I really love the purple flavors. And depending on how I breed with certain things, it refills different kinds of purple flavors. So you get all the like lavendery, what I describe as like grandma's purse candy. You know, like Old Lady Perfume, Incensey, those kind of floral kind of purples. And then you get all the grapey, Merlot, wines, berries, dark fruits, those kind of purples. So, there's so many purple flavors that come through depending on what direction you breed things in that I do love all those different purple flavors.
0: And broadly speaking, what type of highs do you like the most?
1: I like hugging a bud high. The bud that makes you feel like you're just wrapped in a warm, cozy blanket of wellness and well-being and like not overly narcotic, but that nice little fuzzy feeling of wellness. That's why I smoke cannabis. That's the fee, that's the that's the high I most go for. Even in even in the sativa lines I'm trying to breed with, I'm trying to cut out the anxiety, the heart racing, all of that. I want a cerebral, like euphoric high that kind of can allow you to relax into it. And that's what I like that calm, something with a calming effect. And I think CBD being in things is intricate to that and not being completely bred out.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that same kind of thing myself for a while. I would be interested to know your thoughts on this then. Do you think that's a quality that you can try to breed into a strain or do you think it just comes down to kind of like an individual connection with a certain strain you might have?
1: I think it's both. I think you can breed towards it based on your own experience and what's available to you to get from friends who you can get to try it. But because everyone is individual, we do all need to find the perfect one for us. And that's why I think like, it's about selection and growing things out. And when people grow things out, grow them out three or four times. Don't make your selection off of the first seed run because not every grow is dialed in. Sometimes a second run plants are completely different. Sometimes a third's better. It's like, give them all a good try try them at different flowering times and it's like i think that's the real key to get into that where i want to feel from my smoke is actually dialing in your plants and doing the selection and looking for things that are kind of that do connect to you like that you know ah these are the these are the strains And often the terpene is the thing that connects to people. That entourage effect is like you get people that connect to certain terpenes. So it's obviously like there's certain things they need to look towards and certain terp profiles is often what will help them. So it's like I wonder often if like lemon sativas and lemon indicas will be good for a certain person that that particularly connects to them and then they go, oh, it works both ways.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, while we're talking about breeding for a moment, a question our viewers always love, what are some of your tips for picking the best male possible?
1: Oh, do you know what? I always, this is how I look at it. When it comes to a male, I never search for males. I wait for males to identify themselves as the one. It's like... I never like to think, oh, this this is the cross I'm going to do. I'm going to select a male from this. I like to wait for a male to pop up that's incredible. You know, often when you're growing out plants, you have a plant. It's happened like, I remember probably like before I started breeding, it probably happened three times in like five plus years where I had a plant that was my favorite plant out of the pack that I was the most excited about. And then it turns out to be a male and I'm heartbroken because I'm not a breeder and I just chop it and I want females. Those are the males that when they've got everything about them that just stands out from the structure. It's like normally you will see a male. It has single branch, some shit like side branching. You can spot a male. Like the females are the ones that have all the candelabra, big wide side branching. It's normally obvious just from structure. So when you do get a male that has the perfect structure and then you touch it and it stinks, then you're onto something. Then that's the start of this could be a good male.
0: Cool, cool. So, I noticed on your Instagram, you've got some photos of the Valley cookies crossed Afghani and it immediately made me wonder, where did you get the Afghani from and what kind of traits did you look for in that mail?
1: Bro, the Afghani is the craziest thing I've ever found. It's my greatest ever random discovery. I got contacted by someone who had a friend that had come back from Afghanistan in the British Army and had some seeds and the guy offered them to me so he sent me these seeds and there was like 37 seeds I think I grew them out out of the 37 seeds when they started they all looked pretty uniform except for one that was growing with single blade leaf and it looked like a run it was like growing short and everything i had to prop it up on a couple of pots to I like, get it up to the height of the rest of the canopy and i thought to myself let me mark that one with a little star on the number you know like so that i remember it was looking weird at the beginning in case later on things grow out it turned out to be the most incredible plant you could imagine bro the rest of the plants were all very similar and had varying degrees of like whackness basically it's like they were like no resin no yield slightly nice smell a little bit perfumey. i had one nice maybe two nice ones that were very similar in profile to all the bad ones so smell profile was across the board on say 30 or 25 of them that were female was all across the board very lemony floral this one plant looks like an OG Kush it's an exact it makes me believe that OG Kush is at least 50 percent Afghani without any doubt in my mind
0: and what do you think could be the other 50 percent
1: i don't know if if i'll be honest with you if if i hadn't heard the stories recently about what the crosses were because there's like it's actually down now from that tk origins guy it's like one of the strains that he says is half of the genetics is a cut and I'm presuming that that's an Afghani strain that's my presumption and that this, that is Afghani dominant because if you see the pictures of the plant that I'm growing bro honestly when I when I say about it being a single blade leaf it looks like an OG Kush cutting when it was growing and I actually thought like, oh that's got a bit of an OG Kush look to the cut like to the seed plant when it was a baby
0: yeah no I, I don't doubt you at all like Bodhi and Doc D have got the iranian which is like a dead ringer for cookies right
1: yeah that's it bro it's like honestly it's like it makes me believe it so much
0: Yeah, okay, interesting, interesting. Well, I guess time will tell with those ones as to what they turn out to be. I want to do a bit of a throwback to something you bred a while back. I noticed in one of your posts you said you also bred a grand doggy perp strain. Was that different to the one that was offered by Connoisseur or was that the same one given you were there? And I guess the follow-up is how come we don't see or hear much about it from you?
1: Basically, that one, what happened is when I lost the res dog IBL project, I had another grow house where I had all of my female selections and my males, and then there was a security breach at that house. So what ended up happening is OJ at the time had connoisseur genetics and the only crosses he had done was using a G13 Hayes male that had come via SOMA, Uh, that's like the one that he used for a lot of his crosses
0: yeah that one that one got shared around Amsterdam a fair bit
1: oh yeah that one got pimped out hard so that one uh, that got traded over to us for the Casey Jones cut the Casey Jones cut went back the other way so OJ had bred with that and what happened is I had to remove all my plants from the house so my dad who's just a fucking legend he's the most straight going guy ever just does anything for me to help me and just supports me so much he li- he literally had to like come to the house. We loaded up like 35-foot plants in big flat-screen TV boxes for removal, loaded them into his van and moved them to a grow that OJ had. And then OJ, rather than just holding on to my plants, just pollinated all my selections with my males and made seeds with the whole lot for connoisseur genetics. So at huh. that point kind of took my project from me and i kind of said well how about i come in on connoisseur genetics together and that's when we become partners at connoisseur genetics so when we were working at connoisseur genetics that, that was the chem project so from that a whole bunch of things came out so the first batch of seeds he made using my male selection of chem with all my females like motor breath uh train wreck cross sfv uh, the Casey Jones, uh, a whole bunch of other things. Anyway, they got made, and then I made another batch of seeds. The batch that I then made, I remade a few things, like the Kemi Jones. Uh, I also made the only batch of grand doggy perps because when, when he done the original batch of seeds, we didn't have the GDP cut in that room because it was my genetics. The GDP, the, the granddaddy purple cut, OJ had actually sourced that one. So when he gave it to me, I did a batch of grand doggy perps. And that was the only batch that ever got made because after that, it was not long after that we lost the cut of yeah. the mail. So we weren't able to make any of those strains again with the same mail. So, it's been remade by Connoisseur Genetics, a female version, but it's slightly different. The actual regular version has never been remade.
0: Interesting. And so, have you ever wanted to work with that or is that just kind of falls under that banner of like fresh start thing?
1: Uh, do you know what? The Grand Doggy Purps, that is in the Purple Project that I've done and the Purple Project I've used for breeding. So I have kind of took it with me because I've used a couple of different things like that that I've gone forward with and done like, when I first came to Barcelona, I literally just went through like 400 of all of my seeds that I had made that I had and just done selections through all of those and started reselecting. So I went through some of my granddaddy purple hybrids from when I'd done a reversal. So the grape lemonade, purple halitosis, rainbow Jones, and a few of those things are all seeds that, both me and OJ had made and had the stock to go through when I got here.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay.
1: That was the last project of Connoisseur Genetics. The last project I'd done was basically, we'd done the GDP FEM project. And then when we got the Girl Scout cookies together, we'd done a Girl Scout run. But the most horrendous thing happened is that I was fighting broad mites at the time And I was using the Swarovski mite. I had beaten the broad mites, but I was still using the Swarovski mite as a preventative. But I didn't realize they eat pollen when they haven't got bugs to eat. So I'd done a reversal of the Girl Scout cookies, pollinated the tent, and literally got like three seeds out of this plant, five seeds out of that plant, two seeds out of that plant. It's like reversals are hard enough. But when you've got a bug that eats pollen, (laughs) it turned out to be – that was like before – that was the last project I actually done with Connoisseur Genetics. And then he done across and then we walked our separate ways. And, yeah, that was just a funny one to learn a very valuable lesson about what bugs eat when they haven't got bugs to eat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow. There you go. The more you know. So. I forgot to ask you earlier when we were talking about the truth but, you know, just in line with if we look at a lot of your Australians are on offer now, a lot of them have got the truth in it. When we look at your keep a cut of the truth, what type of characteristics does it pass on in terms of the female and then also in terms of the male?
1: With the female, when when I've hit like what I've done is I, I decided to go all with my own lines. It's like I don't really want to be just – Breeding other people's stuff and other people's hype work and this and that. Everything I've got has got like, I've got some kind of hypothesis and idea of what I'm trying to get towards. So really what I've done is I've got my two males that are the Truth male and the Kim Valley Cooks male. And the idea of them is to have breeding tools. One that adds all the favorable characteristics of the OG Kush, which has proven itself to be... one of the most, if not the most legendary like popular strains in the world and the other one to have all of the bag appeal and characteristics of the Ken Valley Cooks and that's the key thing, it's like for me I want low leaf ratio to bud I don't want to be trimming loads so with the truth it gives hardly any leaf, like it's kind of like the double edged sword is you never have no trim from it but you hardly have to trim, so for me when you're doing lots you don't want to be trimming a lot and as things become bigger and bigger the less you've got to trim and the less people are in if you can flush a plant to where the bigger families fall off and then you've got just a a basic little manicure that you're doing a couple of pounds in like a fraction of the time then people are gonna that's gonna make a difference and there's even like any grower that I know doesn't like trimming. So that's one of the main characteristics. The other one is branchiness. It's like, I like good side branching. I like plants that respond to being topped well so that they get a good amount of heads on them and that you can top and train plants. So I always go for that in my, in my breed and then try and go for a male that's gonna give good structure.
0: Solid answer, and you just referenced the idea of using your own lines. Do you think that breeders should look more to using females they've found themselves or just in general from their own projects, or do you think there's also kind of a space for people who just want to repeatedly cross one male to just a bunch of clone-onlys and don't really search to their own female stock too much?
1: The second, bro, I think there's a room for everyone to do everything. As, as Prohibition comes to a close, there will be a niche for everything. There's always going to be people that need to do the latest, greatest and cash in on hype and do well. And I'll be honest with you, if I was doing that, I'd be making a lot more money than what I am because I have the opportunity to get whatever cut I want as quick as I want and then do those kind of crosses. But I I get no real pride from that. I... Get much more pride from creating something unique and having goals and aims and seeing people be able to find something unique that then stands out and gives them something that they're able to work with and turn heads with. Like for me, just crossing things, if it's just gives something that already exists, I get no no joy from it. But I love the fact that anyone can do whatever they want. That's what breeding's about. The key thing is people just need to do their homework. It's like if you're buying seed from someone have a look see what they're doing see where they come from see what it's like see see if it's hype see if there's any real work going in ask a few questions do your homework just, you've got to put in the work otherwise you will end up wasting three months of your life growing out a bunch of shit and if you do your homework it's easy to find out who the legit ones and get something incredible
0: yeah of course so There are a few other notable breeders who are in the Spanish scene. Do you socialize much with them or is it kind of like it's a bit hard to meet up or whatnot and people are just kind of doing their own thing?
1: I'll be honest, I've had such a hard couple of years. The last couple of years, I've had a few issues with my housing that meant me having to shut down to a minimal, minimal basis which has made things super difficult for me. And it's meant that most of my time is just spent at home, working, keeping to myself. So sadly, I haven't had as much time as I would like to be socializing with the scene. But there are lots of people doing cool things over here. And it's like, I'll be honest, like, that's why I love Spanabis so much. It's like it's the one time of the year when everyone's out. I get my dad to come and house it for me, look after my dogs and my plants so that I can be away for the whole week, just socializing, catching up with everyone, seeing what everyone's got, seeing the evolution over the year. And I do get into the city, but not as much as I'd like, But there's amazing, amazing things going on as far as breeders and people trying different things. And it's, the, it's a lot of the like Spanish underground guys that are doing cool stuff with like old Neville's haze cuts I've seen around and little things like that. Those are the ones that interest me. There's a couple little things like that.
0: Yeah, I heard there's a crew of guys over there who have been safeguarding the A5 and C5.
1: Yeah, I've got some friends that have recently got those as well, as well as the S, S is it an S5? Is there an S1 as well? Like... I think there's one with an S, the S5 as well maybe. I recently heard some friends had that. I want to get those myself and play with those. They're definitely special.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay, cool. Well, why don't you tell us what's your new project you're looking forward to doing or you've currently got underway even?
1: The projects I'm most excited about is, like we said earlier, is the Afghani, the land race Afghani that I've got. And also I got given some Pakistani land race seeds from the Neelam Valley. And I've done some selection from those. I did those both at the same time, the Pakistanis and Afghanis. And the keepers that I've got from those feel like real building blocks. You know, they've got like such strong, unique flavors such good strong resilient fast root in healthy genetics i'm super excited about working with those as well as with my Filipinos. so it's kind of the mix of those at the moment testing those lines is what i'm going to be focusing probably the next year is going to be focused on the land races and at the moment i've got a good selection with my chem valley cooks mail and my truth mail that have been released that i can kind of Let those sit for a while and people are going to be able to enjoy those. I've always got many strains that are made that I haven't released. So in the vault, there's probably another 10 or 15 strains that slowly, while I'm doing all the testing and working on the land race projects, I can also test some of the things that are in the vault and slowly, if they make the mark or not release them to the public, Every now and again, like for Spanabis, I'm looking to release something uh, a purple halitosis across the Chem Valley Cooks. So that's one that I'm working at the moment.
0: That sounds exciting. You just referenced the idea of working with some Landrace stuff. I'm always interested in knowing would you ever be willing to travel or want to travel to collect some Landrace stuff yourself?
1: Do you know what? The idea has always appealed to me and. If I wasn't so busy and had the funds, I would definitely do it. But I'm so lucky that I've got people like uh, Himalayan Connection and Land Race Genetics and a few other good-hearted people uh, from Instagram that have reached out to me. And I've been gifted some very, very special seeds. I've got some, is it Sumatra tripping weed? That from Indonesia, some seeds from there that I was given by Himalayan Connection that I'm going to be working with soon and things like that for someone like him who searches out genetics at source and has an incredible network of people to reach out to me and give me something so unique that he searched out for years and years and him to see something in me to say, look, bro, I think you could do something special with these. That's that's incredible. So I'm excited about working with those soon as well
0: so i looked through some of your work just um online and i noticed in a few places that you had essentially worked with some super silver haze stock i was wondering where did you get that was it from like the pre-2000 stuff or is it more newer that's the
1: that's the sssdh that was uh, basically there was a cross from Res Dog that OJ at Connoisseur Genetics done a selection from and got a super silver sour diesel haze. And that is cross with the cookies, which is in my cookie fever. And that one, yeah, that was Res Dog's cut, which is like old, old black pack when Shanty Barber was breeding. That was a very special cut. Say what you want about Res, He may have been a bit of a cunt, but that was a wicked cut. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's funny that that sentiment comes up a fair bit. So, um, I've noticed more recently you've been doing some collabs with OCD labs. What does that mean in practical terms? Like, what do you do? What do they do? And what's your ideal collab like?
1: To be honest, bro, what that is, uh, that, is uh, that was something that I started myself with a friend of mine way back in like 2013 maybe. Yeah, about 2013, a friend of mine who I don't work with, like, I'll be honest, OCD Labs now is kind of redundant because I haven't been really doing much work for it. It's me that's doing the work now because my partner went off and done his own thing now. So really, it's just me making rosin now through my own genetics. And the concept behind that, bro, was just literally when I saw how the American industry was going, I knew that an extract company was essential. So I started an extract company, and I had a friend who runs uh, – at the time, he was just like a a forum guy that was on the forums, and he was like in the UK. He was working for like an estate agent, but he was so on point and obsessed with like the extract game. He was one of the first people that ever had Shatter that was super on point. So me being on the pulse of things, I just decided, I'm like, bro, let's start an extract company. Like – you can be the front man, like, I'll provide the genetics, let's have an extract company. Everyone's doing it in America, let's just do it. I'd rather have an in-house one and being able to put out all my genetics and do that. And then because of all my friends in the industry, we just made some amazing like links in Amsterdam. And we just had a wonderful golden age in Amsterdam where myself ramone from yellow brick labs now and another guy called rick who runs something called i can't remember the name of his company now but he's an amsterdam based guy we all ran ocd labs together when i was in amsterdam and we did work for soma we did work for dna we did work for Maramberos. And we'd done all the stuff for True Canada kind of Genetics, so we were putting out so many extracts at a time when the, there was no scene in Europe. There was the only other extract company that existed was Nerd Extracts. And that was literally it. So we kind of were at the birth of the revolution of extracts. And from Amsterdam, we just had people coming over constantly from the UK, just getting tons of extracts and just blew up the whole European scene. It was incredible to see that change. Like the amount of people that we gave first dabs to that now have glass shops, extract company, edible company, clothing line, like just crazy, like just to see that everyone who's been around this scene has been inspired by the whole birth and the influx of social media, the way that's affected it. It's crazy. It's crazy to see.
0: Yeah, huge progression, right?
1: Bro, the amount of extract companies that exist in England and it's a country where it's illegal and there are like, extract companies that have built amazing brands all kinds of edible companies it's like it's wild to think that it's got to that stage now
0: yeah 100% so I don't know if we've touched on it already but I'm always keen to know what style of growing are you a fan of are you into the no-till are you into cocoa what do you like I've
1: been like my first ever grow that I've done was remember I said I got two friends of my like two plants of my friend that he yeah. dragged in from outside and they were soil when I went to the grow shop and like got set up properly, the guy advised me to grow a cocoa. So from that day forward, I grew a cocoa. And because I was always so obsessed with getting it clean, I've always loved cocoa for that reason, the way I could grow multiple strains, not have any real deficiencies, and get it flushed out. It's like my examples of soil growers and organic was never great until the last few years. Since no-till really blew up, there's a guy called Roadrunner420UK, who's in the UK, of course, and he does incredible no-till. He is one of the people that showed me what the results can be. It's like, I know that the best of the best is always going to be soil-grown, but the problem is, it's so hard to get that right and to dial that right. It's like, I would do, I, I, I once took over a grow from some people, and it's like, Out of the room, I had some plants were like the best thing I've ever smoked, but it was like 20% of the plants were like that. I couldn't get them all to be right. I had some deficiencies here and some bits there. And now, as a breeder, growing so many different strains all the time, cocoa is easier for me to maintain. But as far as smoking and the best of the best, my outdoor, no-till, dragonfly medicine in the ground in the sun that's probably my favorite thing ever it's like that's that's what i really love it's like i love to grow outdoors if i could be somewhere at the perfect climate had a long season outdoor sun grown is something magic about those turps it's like indoors yeah if i had a small tent i would do no till i'd keep it like that i may i may move into that over time but It's something I need to practice on a smaller scale, dial in, become confident with, and then go towards. I can't make such a big jump when I'm dealing with like 30 to 40 different mother plants that I'm keeping healthy and making seeds. But as far as seed-wise, the best seeds I've ever made are the ones that I made, outdoor organic grown. They are the biggest, fattest, healthiest, most incredible looking seeds, like you have, you have I have problems putting them in a vial because they're so much bigger than the normal seeds that you just about get fifteen in a vial.
0: That's uh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> it's was, like
1: eventually that's where I, I would like to get to. It's just going to be a progression where I get the tech right, get myself confident, and then I will eventually move to a no-till kind of grow setup. That's like that's the, that's the goal. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how close it is, but I think that's that's the goal at the moment i'm very lucky that i've got a couple of good nutrient companies buddha's tree and shogun nutrients that i use and they're both uk based companies I've, i've said to people as a uk breeder although i'm not living in the uk i expect the uk growers to support a uk breeder so i myself try and support uk industry as much as i can so when it comes to me getting my packaging or stickers done, I use Sticker Express. If I'm getting my nutrients, I want a UK brand. If I want lights, I want Crop Master LED. Do you know, like, I will always try my best to use a UK company if possible because I'm trying to tell people, look, I'm a UK guy breeding. I've got just as good as anywhere in the world. Geograph- geography doesn't dictate quality genetics. It's about the hard work that you put in and the, the genetics that you've got. So... I can't push my brand to UK people and
0: not do the same. Yeah, of course. And that's exciting to hear that you're almost fully there with the no-till. And a quick shout-out to Roadrunner and Vic Firth, two homies holding it down in the UK. Um, so, we've talked about how in Barcelona there's is, is an established concentrate scene as well as in the broader Spain in general. Is there a similar phenomena going on where vape carts are taking over the scene like we see in the States?
1: Yeah, sadly, vape carts are like the casual smoker kind of thing that people who can't roll a joint or whatever just want to buy them. So, there has been a bit of an influx and amongst all the shit that people have been bringing over from America, there's like a bunch of like renamed carts that you could just tell is like hot dog water with extra equal 20, do you know what I mean? That's like <laughs> 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 microbutanol old Terps. <laughs>
0: wow. And so, what do you think we can do to help counter this and get people to realize that you know, like real really good-grown flour or really nice made concentrates or a superior product?
1: I think you've got a name and shame. I think people need to go around, take samples from a bunch of places, get them all tested, and then name and shame people that are putting out products with these things on them. And then slowly, the people that put in the work and work hard to get a clean room and not use pesticides and not spray things on. It's like I go above and beyond to only use beneficial microbes and things like that because i don't want residue on my plants because any residue is going to come off in an extract so to keep a clean garden and not have anything with residue it's horrendously fucking hard to get to a level where you're happy and keeping a clean garden so it's hard when that's not appreciated so when testing becomes more prevalent i can't wait because everything i put out will get tested And that will be one of the points that I want people to understand is clean, well-grown product that hasn't been sprayed with shit is not easy. And until people actually know, it's like, it makes me shake to think the things that people are consuming because the export market that's happening from America of stuff that's going to fail the standards is just terrible, bro. And the distillate that's coming over, it's like, man, people are using distillate and things and it's like, wow, you just know where that's coming from. Distillates, you can't get enough distillate in America to fill the demand. So if it's getting out at the prices that it's getting out at, no wonder. It's like, it's a price where I've had to say to people like, that's not feasible, bro. Go look in America what it costs to get clean distillate that's tested and ask yourself how you're buying it for that price in Europe. It's like, People need to wake up and really pay attention to things because sadly the market is making too much money and the minute anything makes a lot of money, it brings in the wrong type of people and there's opportunists that are taking. Like, how can there be fake diamonds out now? What the hell is going on in the world where people are selling tree sap diamonds and things like that? It's like, it's just crazy. So the black market causes these problems, bro. That's the reality of it. The only thing we can do is just work towards some kind of regulated market to avoid all the fuck-ups.
0: So, what do you think is most optimal, legalization or decriminalization?
1: Decriminalization. Yeah, I think decriminalization and allow people to use their intelligence and allow people to test these things and that to be part of it. It's like I think that makes more sense for people to like – bro, if you you want to be an idiot and you want to get the cheapest thing and you don't care, that's going to be your mentality no matter what goes on and you'll always go to a backstreet person. But if you're sensible, you'll look for the right things that have been tested and all of that. So the people that do that will have the best spots. It's like if there's a place in Barcelona that all of a sudden everything's tested and there's certificates to say it's clean, mold, pesticide, fungicide-free, all of that, and they've done it off of their own back, then they're the ones that people are going to pay attention to. They're the ones people are going to want.
0: So, I think that brings us to our quickfire questions before we wrap things up. So, first question I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite food? Curry. What type? Curry. Do
1: you know what? I'm from Northwest London, so I've been brought up around West Indian and Indian people. So, people from Jamaica, Jamaica, people from Grenada, people from like Barbados, so hot Jamaican and West Indian curries and lots of Indian food. I was brought up around a lot of Indian friends, so the best Indian food in the world outside India is in London. It's like we've just got incredible spots. So yeah, those are my favorites. I actually miss the Indian and the Jamaican food from England more than anything.
0: For sure. So what's your favorite thing to do in your spare time?
1: Spend time with my dogs, just enjoy living in the mountains and going for a peaceful walk with just nothing around other than beautiful scenery. That's really the, the most enjoyable times when I'm most at peace. For Have a nice few fat dabs and set myself off on a nice little walk with the dogs.
0: That sounds lovely. So next question, what has been the most memorable cannabis you've ever smoked in your whole life?
1: I smoked African land race when I was like 16 and it made me go blind for like three minutes on a high
0: street. Chasing that high?
1: (laughs) Bro, I've been looking for that one ever since. I've done so many other psychedelics and drugs in my like adult life and never once has it been as terrifying as those three minutes.
0: Wow. Best and worst three minutes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, on the other end of the spectrum, what was the worst strain you've ever smoked? And my follow-up is, what's the worst strain you've ever smoked? Part one. And then part two is, what's the worst strain you've ever smoked that somehow got a lot of commercial traction and other people liked?
1: Worst strain I've ever smoked? I'm from the days of sticks and seeds. So, when I was like Maybe 1999 or 2000, yeah, nine, say 98 or 99. 98 it would have been, yep. That's it, I've done the mental math. In 1998, I was getting weed that was coming in with Albanian guys, and I think it was like from Albania or somewhere in that part of the world, and I was paying like 25 pounds an ounce. Now, bear in mind, the ounce of weed normally was like 140. So... £25 pound an ounce for this weed. It was it was horrendous, bro. It's like you lit like it was one of the things that started making me smoke pure because I was just had so much of it and you needed to smoke so much of it, you could actually just leave the tobacco out and just smoke two grams. So that was the worst weed I've ever smoked. But it was just funny because I was getting so much of it and moving so much of it, but my God, it was terrible, bro. It was it might have been hemp, I don't even know. <laughs>
0: Uh, (laughs) and then so what's in your opinion is the weirdest strain which you didn't really like but commercially it seemed to take off
1: do you know what yeah i'll probably seem like a fucking hater for saying this (laughs) but for me i don't i've never been that taken by gelato it's like for me like i can understand why skittles is hyped It's got a profile that makes people go, wow, like, it's incredible, the profile. I can understand why Sherbet is. Like, Sherbet's got a wicked, like, I love that profile. I can understand the hype behind that. It's like, Lemon Tree, it's like when that kit got hyped up, I'm like, I've got something that smells like Lemon Tree. You know, like, a lot of things, I've got something. I can go, like, I've got something that smells like that. I've got something that smells like that. So I can see hype when things don't, but Gelato disappointed me every time I've smoked better crosses of gelato than gelato I've been disappointed by all the gelato but some gelato crosses I've been impressed by
0: there you go the inception so our next question you're on a desert island you can only take three strains with you what are they
1: I would take my chem valley cooks male and then I would take my grape lemonade 23 and then I would take a Terbzillica.
0: Lovely. And then you'd get to work?
1: Yeah. And then I'll be good. I'll be able to go in many directions. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a tropical fruit on a tropical island.
0: <laughs> lovely, lovely. Happy with your coconuts. I like it. So, the next one is... If you could have one clone back that you've lost or one that you wanted but were just never able to get your hands on, what would it be?
1: There's two. There's one I can get back and I'm going to get back at some point and then there's one that I can never get back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do tell more.
1: The one that I can never get back is a cut of Sour Bubble that I had, which is from Bog. Now, Bog will say publicly that that's a freak Fino of bubblegum i've heard from someone that he privately said it's a sour bubble it's a baba kush cross every anyone who knows anything about baba kush knows sour bubble is a baba kush cross i don't want to hate on bog he's a lovely guy i've got a lot of respect for him but sour bubble is baba kush and bubblegum i would bet my life on it may i be struck down by lightning if i'm telling a lie anyone who smoked it tell me what you think I would love to see comments on this one. But that for me, as much as it was that, it was incredible. So it's like I criticize him for not admitting what it was, but I'll be honest, it was probably the silliest thing he ever done because if he would have said back in the day what it was, it would have blown up even more and been even more hyped. And at a time when it was kind of like Reservoir Seeds and Bog were the two kind of hype companies online and it was all about being sour because Sour Diesel had blown up and Bog was trying to capitalise and get in on that hype market. So he done that cross, called it Sour Bubble, but said it's a freak sour fino of bubblegum because his whole line is bubblegum based. But I've heard he said to someone in private that, yeah, it's a bubble hybrid. So there you go.
0: <laughs> We've heard that sentiment before. And then what about the one you can get back?
1: The TK, the triangle cushion. I'm waiting for that one to come back to me. But of all the things, yeah, the triangle cushion is the one I'm missing. I just, I haven't really made an effort to get it, bro. It's like it'll come back eventually. It'll come back. I'm like, I'm not a chase, chase, chase thing. It's a few people know that I want it. Eventually, it'll come to me.
0: Yeah, I share that sentiment. She's an amazing plan. I um, I miss her quite a lot. So the next one, the final question. If you could go back in time, anywhere, any place, any time throughout history and get some seeds, where are you going and when?
1: I would go back to when Thailand had loads of thriving things. There's something about Thai weed I love, all the different variety. And the one that I really, really crave more than anything is the old juicy fruit Thai. I would go back to when the juicy fruit Thai was there was undisturbed and was just ready for the plug-in and get that to work with
0: really really solid answer so any shout outs or comments you'd like to make
1: yeah shout outs to all of the uk scene to the guys that rep my stuff mr matic southard smokers club to ice toker 75 mr green fingers 420 to the whole UK scene like Bone Mouth Farms and Bezel who are doing projects together now getting into breeding and doing cool collabs and everyone the whole UK scene that's thriving there's so many like yeah there's so many good companies coming up you should everyone should really pay attention to the UK scene it's a small island but my god the passion there is incredible and when Prohibition eventually ends, you're going to be able to see some incredible growers and people that are just doing amazing things. So all of those people in the UK, my cousin, Raw Phantom on Instagram, the Barcelona people, Terps Army Farm, Fresh Flower Farm. Those good, good people that have offered me seeds over the years, all the people that have offered me clones, all the people that have sent me clones, Everyone that's helped me get to where I am, supported me through hard times, people under the stairs, genetics, who helped me out of a difficult, difficult situation and auctioned some seeds for me during a difficult time and basically covered my rent when I was in dire trouble. So just know that this industry has got community in it. It may be turning into a big industry, but in its heart there is a community and there are people out there that do this for love and passion. If you pay attention, you'll see who's who.
0: Yeah, what a lovely sentiment. So, again, a big, big, big thank you again for coming on, sharing all your stories and setting the record straight on a few things. Barry of True Canagenetics.
1: Genetics. Awesome talking to you, bro. It's been a pleasure. I love your show. Every episode is just engrossing. I love the history and hearing all the different stories from everyone. Can't wait until the next one's out.
0: So, again, a huge thank you to True for taking the time. Stop by, chat today. I'm digging the EU vibes, guys. I hope you guys are as well. As always, huge shout out to Seeds here now, Radio Ridge Nursery, Organic Gardening Solutions. Greensleeves Merchantile You know them You love them They're the sponsors That make this one happen We appreciate them So very very much And as always Dragonfly fam Patreon gang We love you to the moon And back Thank you so much For all you do I'll see you for the next one guys We'll see ya